it live. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Good afternoon and welcome to an on-location version of the really big barbecue central show. We are doing it live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Conference here in Fort Worth, Texas. Again, don't adjust your studio stations, computer screens, phones, and or otherwise. This is a live version of the Barbecue Central show. It's a Thursday noon local time here. That's Central, where we are at, at the River Ranch Stockyards in Fort Worth, Texas, just outside of the city. we got a great show planned for you today and tomorrow and Saturday as well. This is very exciting. This is the first time that we've actually been on lo- we I've been on location actually doing a live show. We spent a number of weeks leading up to this, making sure that the sound is good and that the audio quality is good and that the video is going to happen to some degree. And uh, by all accounts, although there were some hurdles last night, which we'll get into here uh, leading up to this very moment, we're all in. So we got some great guests lined up for you during this three-hour stretch here on Thursday at 12.15 local. We have Code 3 Spices. Both Chris and Mike will be stopping by. And then at 1.15, we'll be talking with Sterling Smith of Loot and Booty and closing out the show tentatively, but I'm pretty sure booked, the legend Mike Mills from 17th Street Barbecue. So that's what's going to be happening. I'm going to be following the chat roll on Facebook on my phone. So if you have questions, I'm not going to be reading it intently, obviously, because I have my own game plan ahead. But if you have some questions or if you see something going on in the interview process and I can mix in a question of your own, I am happy to do so. Uh, If you want to email me a question, I am happy to take your email and mix it in where I can. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com is the email address, and I will make sure that I go ahead and mix in those questions best I can. So there you have it. All right. So I left Cleveland yesterday after doing a live show in studio, and it was a fairly uneventful. Got to the airport in Cleveland around 3.30 or so, and then took a direct flight, luckily, to Dallas-Fort Worth and a pretty uneventful trip coming from the airport here to the stockyards. Now, if you haven't ever been to the stockyards here in Fort Worth or the River Ranch facility here on the stockyards, a very impressive mix between inside and open air facility. There's a huge, I guess what I would term a burn area out back, and there were a lot of... uh, You know what they have? They have that thing I have in my backyard, the Solo Bonfire. It's that stainless steel wood-burning pit that bills itself as this smokeless type of a unit. And, you know, like I say, that's the worst part about any kind of campfire out back is when you don't get that great oxygen level in there, it starts to smoke, and then everybody smells like a campfire at one point. But 
this item bills itself as being virtually smokeless. By the way, that's kind of true. It really works well. So I had a number of those scattered around back. And then, of course, if you're a barbecue and grilling fan, uh, if you just watch it from a cursory standpoint, like from television, or if you are steeped in it like I am and interviewing some of the top men and women in the industry, this is a place that you're really going to want to come and check out at some point. I walk in immediately through the door. Myron Mixon is there. His son Michael is there. I'm running into the folks at Traeger, Diva Q, Chad Ward, Doug Scheiding, Simon Flores is here. I run into the guys at Grilla Grills. I'm running into Sterling Smith from Luton Booty, obviously, uh, who will be on here in a couple hours. It is lit- Mike Mills, Amy Mills. It is literally a who's who of barbecue and grilling out here. So if you've ever thought about making the trip out, even just from a fanboy standpoint, I can't give you a full recap of what I think of this event because it is really just starting today. A lot of the classes are being uh, started today. A lot of the breakout sections are being started today. And then that runs through tomorrow. Saturday is going to be an event in itself. That's the Grilling Academy Day. And uh, we will keep you abreast of things that are going on here as well. So again, if you have any questions, Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com and I will try and get to your questions. Uh, coming up in about eight minutes from now, we will be joined by the guys at Code Three Spices and uh, we'll get to talk to them and see what's happening in the land of uh, Code Three Spices. Just want to make sure my email address is up and running. So I got in to the uh, facility here at River Ranch uh, right around 7.45, 8 o'clock-ish, local time here, Central. I'm going to keep referring it to local because I'm an Eastern guy, and I always think Eastern time is the normal time. And uh, immediately, we're kind of set up in this back room off of a bar, and I'm like, hey, what could be better than that? The the, uh, potential guests can get tuned up a little bit, loosened up a little bit, and away we go, and they just slide right back here. It's kind of away from everything, so we're a little sound protected, which from a show standpoint, I certainly appreciate. So it's going to be very exciting in that regard, having people slide in and out. So I wanted to triple test the stuff and we uh, the nbbqa was very nice to run a cat five uh well i can't have that hold on gotta shut that program down immediately here we go um so they let me grab it here you know they run the old uh, cat five internet line and they made a run out here because i had uh, specifically requested through the advice of the service that i'm using to connect in so i'm basically being my own guest, I'm connecting into the traditional show studio in Cleveland, and uh, we're broadcasting this way. So I'm really, even though you see the video, you can hear what I'm hoping is really good quality sound. This is me being a, a guest to myself, uh, and it was the easiest way for me to connect and travel pretty light. And I was told by the guys that run IPDTL that you're going to want to have a, uh, a hard line connection. So we got here, set everything up, ran the wire into the back, started it up to do test broadcast. And of course, because I worry and worry and worry and have been so resistant to bringing the show on the road, what happens when I connect? Of course, it doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. 
So I'm trying to figure out if I'm paused or if I have something that isn't right in the studio portion or something at home isn't working right. I mean, who knows? So what we come to find out after I unplug the pipe is, and then we hook up a, a hotspot. Actually, that's not what happened. I unplugged everything. It was about now, you know, getting on 930. The last bus for the hotel had left. I'm going crazy like a maniac because, of course, the sound isn't running. And here, there was a problem with the line. Now, I don't know what the problem is with the Cat 5 line because I get back to the hotel. I set everything back up in the room. Now we're Wi-Fi connected. And everything works, of course. So I immediately know that at least we can pinpoint, you know, the fix is that we can do a, a Wi-Fi connection. So we get in this morning, double check. It doesn't work again with the wired connection. I test on uh, Wi-Fi again. We're right back up and running, and we get the uh, the password. And so we're all set to go. Uh, made a bunch of uh, test connections this morning, and, and we're, we're really good. At 10.30 this morning, I was part of a panel that talked about barbecue media. There was the uh, uh, travel or the, the cooking comedian, Vic Clevenger, Malcolm Reed from Kill Hogs, and myself talked about the evolution of barbecue media and media types in general. I was obviously on the podcasting side. Malcolm was doing big blog, uh, you know, the written word kind of a thing. And we all talked about why we chose those specific mediums and we answered a bunch of questions. It was roughly an hour. Um, I don't know if people, maybe members have access to that particular audio slash video. I know a lot of people were shooting some video while that was going on. So very exciting and uh, had a great time answering questions and getting people's exciting for me to be here in this kind of a situation. There's a lot I've never met in person and being able to come down here and a do live shows for three hours a day. Very exciting, obviously, but meet people in person that I have had on the show some multiple times over multiple years. And finally getting to, to make those connections in person is absolutely invaluable. So, I'm very excited about that. And, uh, you know, meeting some of the, the great legends of barbecue, whether I've had them on this show and I've met them in person or not. And I've met very few people in person because not a lot of people like to get up to Cleveland for some reason. We're changing that very slowly. We're changing that. I mean, for instance, I spent 10 minutes this morning talking with a sauce legend, Dave Raymond. I mean, who doesn't want to talk to Dave Raymond? Famous Dave, if you don't know that. And then I got to meet Deuce in person. You know, it's going to be a name-dropping scenario, of course. So it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. It's very cool, I got to say. So again, if you have the means or you're thinking about coming just from a want to meet people, I would highly suggest it. So, all right, uh, here we go. We're getting ready for that first interview portion, which again will be Code 3 Spices here in a couple minutes. Again, we are here live at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's 2018 version of IM Barbecue. It's at the River Ranch Stockyard. So I do want to thank the National Barbecue and Grilling Association, Stuart Meyer, current president Mark Lambert, incoming president Heath Hall from Pork Barrel Barbecue for allowing me the opportunity to uh, set up here and uh, having them give us space here. There's other podcasts that are going to be recording stuff. Uh, I'll be the only show doing it live. 
because guess what? I'm the only show that does it live. Right? Behind the Smoke, Barbecue War Stories is here. They were already putting it down early and often yesterday. And, of course, uh, Best Barbecue is here as well, Yoni and Stover. So they're going to be recording a bunch of stuff, but I'll be doing it live. So I'm very thankful for NBBQA for letting me come down here and set up and do live shows. And I'm also very thankful for who? AmazingRibs.com. That's right. They have sponsored me down here, putting me up in the finest hotels and paying for all of my private jet and limo accommodations because we all know that Meathead is very rich. So let me tell you that if you have not given or didn't know about that really cool thing that Meathead has to offer over at AmazingRibs.com, it's called the Pitmasters Club. Now, here's the best part of the Pitmasters Club. It's 25 bucks, not a month, not a week, a year. You can't five 25 bucks a year. The return on investment is huge. They have a really great close-knit barbecue and grilling forum. Maybe you think those are a little outdated. I mean, they certainly have their purpose. Just go ahead and throw on a headset. We'll get to you here in a second. So you can interact with the barbecue and grilling community that is at AmazingRibs.com. You have access to early releases, like Meathead said on the show Tuesday, that he might actually release some uh, new chapters of the book that he's going to be working on. You have access to special deals. They have newsletters. And again, for 25 bucks for the year, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's AmazingRibs.com. Look up at the top right of the navigation. And it's the Pitmasters Club Forum. Some of the biggest names in the industry are around there, too. So you can't go wrong. I do a weekly podcast called the Pitcast for Amazing Ribs. So that alone, 25 bucks a year. I mean, no doubt. Uh, so thanks to Meathead for getting me down here. If you have any questions about the Pitcast, email me. Or if you see me out here at MBBQA, I'm happy to talk about it. And we will be back with Code 3 Spices, the first live guest right here at NBBQA. So stick around. We'll be right back. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. We are, uh, contrary to what the lead-in said from the really big voice guy, not in Cleveland, obviously. We're in Fort Worth, Texas. National Barbecue and Grilling Association's annual conference. And my first guest, as you can see right there on the Facebook video live feed. By the way, I am trying to keep track of what's happening in the role there, although I got to make sure that I'm paying attention to my guests and my questions and outlines and all that stuff because I want to be a favorable host. But uh, let's go ahead and race over. Okay, let's try this. Let's race over to this side of the table and welcome in uh, Code 3. Spices, Chris Bonemeyer. Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being my very first guest here. I'm trying to get my bearings. I've never, so this is the first time I've ever been 
like live on remote. Otherwise, you would have had to come to Cleveland. And it seems that for whatever reason, Cleveland doesn't seem to be like <laughs> the destination that I thought it was going to be when we first started this thing. So um, I'm, I'm happy that uh, you guys are uh, available and uh, you guys are kind of breaking the uh, proverbial mold and, and being a first live guest. So um, I guess from a from a high level, do you guys come down here to push the brand? Do you come down here to grease the palms and be fanboys? Is it a lot of both? What's the deal? It's Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of both. You come down here and, you know, the guys that you talk to, you know, Sterling, Myron, um, you know, it basically we see Sterling once, twice a year, the Royal and NBBQA. And, you know, for all of us, barbecue rub companies you know we we get to see these guys we get to talk about you know logistics and shipping and and social media and it's a it's a it's a great way for us to kind of share ideas amongst our groups as to as how we can expand our business is this something that you make it a point to come to every year or this is our second year doing it uh we were here last year as well um and just really realized the benefit in the nbbqa and and along with the conference itself, having the the ability to to grow your business from what you are to to what you can be. Let's go ahead and back it up a little bit. When you know, it, it seems like especially over the last maybe seven or eight years, when you would go into a grocery store or some type of a specialty food store, there was kind of a very smallish section of anything that had to do with live fire, whether it was rubs and sauces or marinades and seasonings. When I go into my Giant Eagle in Cleveland, Ohio now in the bread section, the other side of bread, the whole aisle is sauces and rubs and seasonings. So it is really proliferated here over the last handful of years. When you guys first got into it, or I guess let's start there. Like what was the impetus of getting into the rubs and seasoning business? Uh, well, you know, it, launching a rub or a sauce is um, it, it's one of the it's it's a hard journey to take and. You know, we sold to to mom and pops and grocery stores, you know, within our local area. And um, the products really started moving there. And and from there, we've kind of expanded. You know, we have stores down here in Texas. We um, we just picked up a distributor in Australia. So we're actually going um, worldwide now. But the, the key is, is, you know, anybody can make a good rub or a good spice blend or a good sauce. And the, the real key behind it is how do you get it to market? How do you get your product to move or get it in people's hands? And um, that's probably the hardest part about launching one of these companies. When did you guys start or, or decide that this was something you wanted to get into? <clears throat> well, we started about five years ago, and it was it started out as um, we had some local competition guys that said, we really like your stuff. We'll buy it if you bottle it. And um, we bottled it, and I said, well, you know, we'll launch a website, and if somebody orders it, you know, we'll ship it out you know, whenever we have free time and, um, you know, a couple of mom and pops in our area bought it and it just kind of expanded from there, you know, the word of mouth and the number of customers we have that walk into stores and say, Hey, I want you to carry code three. And so now we get, you know, phone calls every day saying, Hey, I've got three or four customers who've been asking for this and now I want to carry it. When you look back at when you guys were starting, uh, you and Mike, were you guys just were you competitive barbecuers? Were you just backyard guys that like to you know fire it up over the weekends? And instead of buying something that was out there, you're like, hey, you know, rubs are kind of easy to make. Let's make something that is more of our personality, and then grew it in from there. Yeah, I mean, when we started, we had, it was a lot of backyard. Um, you know, I would go to the local spice shop and I'd buy twenty different spices and I'd blend them together until I found <laughs> something I liked and. 
then, you know, we got the idea that, and this is how everybody goes through it. We'll enter a couple backyard competitions and, um, we'll see how we do from there. And if our product, you know, if we, if we can win some trophies, well, that makes our product look good. And then we joined the St. Louis barbecue society and started doing very well there. We've done some KCBS and we've done pretty well with those. Um, so it's just, it's been a, a progression of starting from the very beginning, the small size, um, you know, our first order of rub fit in the back of my, of my Jeep. Um, so we weren't ordering pallets. We weren't ordering, you know, large quantities, but, um, over time now it's, you know, we've, we now have a 3000 square foot warehouse in Collinsville where our store is. Um, and we're, I mean, we're constantly moving product out now. Did you start with, um, I guess what would be a, a flagship rub and then decide to go in different flavors from there? Or did you always know right from the beginning that you were going to offer multiple flavor profiles? Well, our, our idea was always to expand the line. The, the one rub that the backyard guys really liked is what we started with. And we've since um, modified that one into two others, a spicier and an all-purpose. And then um, that was kind of our line to start. And then we made a garlic rub, which is for beef and steaks and brisket. Um, and then we finally came out with a Cajun rub for fish. And we've kind of rounded out the line. And now we've added two barbecue sauces um, which have really taken off. And so we just, as, as, as we see a need, we just, we just keep growing and adding products. I think I just turned myself down. Hello. Hello. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, geez. Where are we at here? Can you talk real quick? Can you hear me? All right. This is the one I want to turn down. Okay. Sorry about it. We're, we're you know it's technical uh, te- as normal with the with the show we have technical difficulties on my end. Um, so when you're putting together um, the rubs and people are liking that, I'm sure you, you know your friends and family are like, oh, you got to go into business and, and you know get these things on the shelves because they're going to sell. You have to go find a company packer. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do something in your house legally for you know very long, especially if you want to make a legitimate sure. run at it. So. And, and to me, that's always like a fascinating portion of this whole business is you have total control when you are in your kitchen. You know what you want to do. You can add this. You can add that. You have complete control over the ingredients. When you take it to somebody that that's their business is taking your recipe and, and making it into big batches in order for you to get out to retail, it's also taking away or at least perceived taking away some of your control. Our 5.0 rub, we, I gave them the recipe and it was six months of testing back and forth till we determined that it was what we wanted. So, you know, when you take it from a, you know, teaspoon of this tablespoon of this to, you know, a pound or two pounds or whatever the case may be to make that giant batch, um, it takes a lot of testing back and forth to get it right. And, um, you know, our co-packers worked with us throughout the years and they've really helped us out as far as, as ordering. And as we've grown, they can actually carry more product for us and, so it's a it's a process to get it correct, but once they do and and having that because we've had the same co-packer for for the five years that we've been in business, so we've never changed. Um, so we have a very good relationship, and it's in St. Louis, so our delivery costs are low. And um, you know, finding the right co-packer is really key to. We didn't even change the recipe. The recipe I gave them is the recipe that's in the bottle today. 
Um, we didn't make any modifications. And that's really key to having a good relationship and being able to get a product on the market. So when you were doing the recipe, I always hear that instead of saying it's a teaspoon of this or a cup of that, originally were you guys weighing out all your different ingredients? So when you got to a point where you could bring it to a co-packer, they could just scale up by weight? No, no. I gave them the teaspoon, and which is probably why it took six months to get it to the market. Yeah, right. Um, no, it was one of those, like I said, I just had a giant bowl in my kitchen that I was mixing stuff in and um, we took it to the co-packer and he's like, oh yeah, I can take that recipe. And he goes, I'll send you a sample and and we can get a sample in, taste it, cook with it. Um, and then we'd say, okay, you need to add this or take this out. And um, eventually we got, we got to this, an agreeable mark where we said we can put this in a bottle and, and get it moving. I would imagine you start pretty local when you're bringing it to market or did, was the idea to get it out as, as wide as possible right off the bat? Oh, no. I mean, if you don't, if you don't own your backyard, your local market, then you're not going to get out across the country. And like I said, we started with mom and pops and then, um, you know, Schnook's grocery store in St. Louis picked us up. And once they did it, the other two chains in St. Louis picked us up. And then, um, you know, we have 125 stores in HEB down here in Texas that's picked us up because they all kind of watch each other and see what they do. Um, and now we're going to be in, um, ACE's warehouse. Um, you know, like I said, we have a distributor in Australia. We've got one in Canada. And so it's, it, it takes time to expand, you know, these, some of these chains, you, you may go two years before you actually get a purchase order from the time you met with them. And it's, it, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of resilience and just irritating those buyers until they, till they come, you know, till they see your name and understand what you do. Um, and that's when they'll start bringing you in. So when you capture the local market and you get a presence there and you start to look to grow, that can be intimidating for any business owner. I mean, sales is difficult for a lot of people making a cold call, pitching your product. I mean, you believe in it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have bothered getting into it in the first place. But bringing it across and building that value for a potential buyer is certainly a different ballgame. Is that your strength? Is that Mike's strength? And what are your tips for building that value to get into some of those bigger stores? You know what it's been for us is it's been social media. Um, social media is free for the most part. I mean, you do ads, and and but your advertising dollar goes a lot further. You know, with Facebook and Instagram and. And that's really how we've built our following. We have people, you know, every day that are going into stores and requesting it because they saw something we cooked on Instagram. Or um, we also have a lot of, um, you know, loyal followers that they really enjoy cooking and then sending us their pictures. Um, so they help spread the word as well. And that's social media has been the key for us. The first probably three years, I don't think we spent a dollar on advertising. It was all done through social media and. And that's really where, you know, you go to a chain and you say, well, I mean, there's two things. We can go to a chain and we can say, hey, we have, um, you know, 75,000 Instagram followers and we can target everybody in your area. Um, and then beyond that, you know, Code 3 does something different. We donate 25 cents of every bottle we sell to one of three first responder and military charities. Um, so we can go to a buyer and we can say, hey, you know, we can target every police department and fire department next to every one of your stores. And when they come in, they're not going to just buy a bottle of rub. They're going to buy a cart full of stuff. And that seems with the buyer, I mean, that's a customer base right off the bat. Um, and that's something that, you know, if product's not moving, it's, 
it's they're going to kick you out. Because there are so many rubs out there now, when you were building up and, and ramping up getting widespread, did you realize early on, because I think there is a, a little bit of a, a preconceived notion that if you have a really kick-ass rub, all you have to do is put it online and magically you're going to make all these hundreds of millions of dollars. Is the true success getting into brick and mortar and getting you know wide distribution and all this stuff, or could you make a go of it online? I think I think you have to do both. Um, the online is nice, but the number of people who don't want to pay for shipping or, you know, on top of it, don't they don't know your product. So what's gonna what's gonna talk them into um, going to your website and buying it? Um, if you go to a grocery store, they happen to be in the grocery store picking up other stuff. They don't have to pay shipping. It's right there in front of them. Um, so I think. You know, we do a fair amount of online, but that's only because it's not in their local grocery store yet. Um, once it gets there, I'm sure we'll lose that region for online shipping. But there's something to be said about being able to run down the street and picking it up locally rather than waiting two days um, for it to be shipped to you. Is this a full-time gig for you, Mike? Yep. We're both, we are both full-time now. Um, between, the, between the rub and sauce company, um, we also have a, a barbecue supply store in uh, Collinsville. And then we also have our competition team. Um, so <laughs> it's eat, breathe and sleep barbecue. I know Mike was a police officer in a, in a previous profession. Were you also uh, in some type of a first responder role? I was not, I was in computers. So how this ever makes sense, I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but I, I went from computers and then we both like to cook. And that's really what, what kind of drove this is, you know, grilling every night and on the weekends and, um, looking up recipes and, um, you know, you talk about amazingribs.com or, or Malcolm on, uh, how to barbecue, right. You know, all those sites led us into, you know, cooking and experimenting and trying different things. And that's really what kind of took us off from there. Were you guys neighbors or you guys grow up together or like, where's the, where's the friendship start? Him and my wife went to high school together and, uh, we actually didn't live, but three blocks from each other. Hmm. So it was, you know, it was uh, go out and barbecue or what are we going to make this weekend or what are we going to make tonight? And so we did a lot of different recipes and, you know, it, it, there's just so many different ways to do barbecue out there that, you know, you won't eat the same thing twice if you really, you know, do some research and find some information. Uh, list the product line again for me real quick. So we're Code 3 Spices. Um, we have our 5.0 rub, our rescue rub, our backdraft rub. Uh, grunt rub, sea dog rub, and then we also have our uh, Patriot sauce and Patriot sauce spicy. What's the most popular rub from a, a purchase standpoint? Um, our five O and our grunt. Um, grunt is more of the beef, your steaks, your chicken, um, and then our five O is that's what we use for our competition pork. And it seems like most people are cooking pork butts or ribs or something like that. So that's our that's our second highest seller do you have any other flavors that are new in the pipeline i mean you guys constantly working on recipes or do you try and say hey here's a block of stuff that's going to sell good for us it's going to fit every niche and we're just not going to sit there and add stuff to add stuff yeah i mean we're not going to bring something to the market that we don't believe in um you know our idea is that you know we have a third sauce that we're working on could be a year before it ever gets released um everything that we do has been you know, we've tested it. We've made sure it's a product we like. Um, and obviously, friends and family, they get to try it. P- 
people that stop in the store, they sample it and we kind of get feedback from everybody. And then when we feel the time is right, we'll go ahead and release a new product. Is there, is there a certain time when you know that it's right to release or with all those things being said that you just mentioned, once all those things are satisfied, then you believe because this is what we've done in the past. Okay. Well now we can bring this one to market and see how it does. Yeah. I mean, our, our idea is that, you know, we we want to keep expanding the line. There's a time that that a release is right for us. It's not necessarily a date or a time of the year or anything like that. But it's you know we've tried the product. We've we've had people sample the product, um, and eventually we just get to a point where we say, okay, now we're ready. And you know we'll always do a big social media ramp up. Um, we've done pre-orders in the past, and that seems to move a lot of product. And you know as much as we're shipping online now. When when we release a new product, people are excited about it because we've we vetted it and made sure it was right. Code3spices.com is the website. We're talking with Chris Bonemeyer here on the show. First guest here at NBBQA as we're doing it live from 12 to 3, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week. Uh, Chris, you had mentioned that the, a big part of your success was social media. Certainly, we've seen in, in not an emergence, but just an explosion of how people are using it. Whether they're just being straight up dicks and blasting people, whether they're trying to promote uh, things that are positive, whether they're trying to create some type of uh, an additional added business value, uh, being on social media or doing a podcast or whatever. How did you figure out that social media was a way to leverage? And I guess a follow up question to that would be what do you think the best practices are from a business standpoint to leverage your product in that social media realm? Well, I think it's two things. I mean, I, Mike handles all of our social media. Um, I do the logistics, the shipping, the freight and all that stuff. But I think it's, it's two things, you know, social media has, has absolutely taken off Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and I think on top of that, you know, sorry, Technical difficulty. <laughs> All right. There we go. Sorry about that. We're back? Yep. Um, no, so what I was saying is social media is at an all-time high. Um, the ability to reach people across the world is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but then again, you know, barbecue's at an all-time high. You know, you were saying earlier when you went into a supermarket, there was like one rub, two rubs. Um, people have the ability now to create specialty rubs. You talk about Sterling code three, you know, you talk about some of those names who have put rubs out there and their social media is what's driving the sales. So everybody loves the barbecue. Everybody loves social media and you put those two things together and that's really what's driving the market. Are there things that when you're making posts on social media, whether it be on Facebook or on Instagram, Twitter, whatever that you want to include or make sure that you're mentioning as you're promoting those products and doing it, like in an ethical way? That's that's a question from Mike. Right oh, great. <laughs> Throw on this microphone and come over yeah. here and let's talk social media real quick. talk social media with yeah. him. Mike's coming into the I'm picture here, right. just in case. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, just uh, put that microphone right up to your uh, pretty face there, and I'll turn you up. I don't know about pretty, but I'll take it. All right. So, um, yeah, we're talking, uh, you know, about the social media aspect. When you're... Uh, from what Chris is saying, you're the social media maven of uh, Code 3 here. So uh, when you're making posts or when you're looking to put out a post, uh, I guess from an ethical standpoint, what are you looking to include? And like, are there key things that you want to put in a post that gives it that uh, certain pop? 
Well, the thing that's nice about the way we're set up is <clears throat> Chris is competing, you know, during competition season, almost every week and every other weekend. <laughs> so we get a lot of, we get a lot probably of content, weird on video, the, by the way. that's fine. <laughs> the, the number one thing when it comes to social media is good content. If you don't have good content, there's really no use of putting it out there. So without good content, you're not going to get much response. You're not going to cultivate many relationships with either customers or, you know, whatever it is. But as he was saying, social media now is key for sales. We're a small company. So it's one of those deals where social media is free. We've had to learn how to utilize it, you know, and make it work for us. When we talk about the growth of barbecue and grilling, you know, there's two aspects to it, especially here on this show. I mean, I talk to a lot of the guys that are out there competing weekend in, weekend out. But then I'll also have cookbook authors and bloggers and pit makers and accessory makers. So that's a very small percentage of who they're actually looking to sell to is the competitors. The vast majority is the dopes like me, the backyard warriors, the guys just like to get out there during the weekend. In my opinion, I think we're seeing kind of this weird transition of, you know, when Pitmasters was out, that really hyped up people to get into competition barbecue. And I think you saw a steady growth there over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And along with that came, oh, well, that famous guy on television was using this cut of beef or was buying that pit or drives this huge-ass motorhome. So there's certain stereotypes or expectations that people think that I need to do before I can get in and be successful. And I think we're starting to see, we've either hit the apex of competition barbecue for the moment or it's starting to decline a little bit. But on the other side, the backyard is taking off. People are investing in really good pits. People are wanting to buy really great rubs and sauces and learn how to do all this stuff in the backyard. How do you guys see that divergent industry at this point? You know, we actually, so in Collinsville, we we did it last year for the first time. We actually did a, a competition, St. Louis Barbecue Society. Um, I've seen two different variances. You know, um, what used to be the pro guys in their tents and, you know, their their layback chairs and they'd sleep outside all night. That That's no longer. Everybody's going to trailers, be it a porch trailer, toy hauler. Um, a lot of the pro guys have gotten into a world of convenience. Um, but what we do with our competition is we actually do a backyard competition as well. And our goal is to get some of these guys who, who love cooking in the backyard and they want to, they want to do the pro competitions, but they don't want to get their butt kicked right off the bat. This kind of gives them a chance to say, Hey, I could cook a couple categories, see how I do. And if I do well, maybe I'll step up and, and start cooking more of the pro ones. And so backyard competitions, I think are the transition to get guys to start coming up to the upper levels be it SLBS, KCBS. Um, and I, I, we had 20 backyard teams last year, and I think five of them have since done a pro comp since then. So they get a little taste of it, and then they, they realize, hey, maybe I can cook with these guys. That didn't exist back in the day. Back in the day, you just went up and you took your butt whipping, and you know that lasted for a while until you figured it out. And from there is when you, you, know, when you started just cooking pro all the time. There was no backyard life. We see it all the time, though, in our store. We got a little storefront, I'm sure you mentioned. <clears throat> we got backyard guys and gals coming in every day, and we're blown away by the knowledge that they have, and they've never even been to a professional competition before. So because of shows like yours and the Internet, I think we're seeing an upward trend of more educated backyard pitmasters. 
Do you guys see uh, a time uh, or do you agree or disagree that where competition barbecue is uh, has the ability to, to start the upward trajectory again? Or uh, if it's not going in a downward trajectory, uh, catch fire, bad pun, uh, but you know, <laughs> where, where people. So I think uh, there's some different kinds of events that are being introduced that haven't been picked up, for instance, uh, like a guinea pig style competition or uh, to generalize it, a cost controlled competition where it's 450 bucks, somebody's providing the meats. I understand there's a lot of logistics that are behind that. You need to have sponsors that are going to produce those meats for those teams. And you know, there's a lot of uh, logistics that have to go into place. But let's assume we can figure that out. Is that something that you think would encourage a lot of people to start competing maybe one or two or three or four times during the course of a year? Or has there been a status or a, a certain benchmark set now where people feel like they have to have all of this elaborate stuff in order to give themselves the best shot at winning? Well, I think that's where the, where the doing the backyard competitions, you know, one day, two meets. Um, the one we do for ours is, is, is chicken and ribs. And it's actually judged by the same certified judges that do the pro competition. So obviously those guys can't show up on a one day comp and do a brisket and pork. And, um, but then those guys know at the end of the day, Hey, we've been judged by the same certified judges that, that you guys get. And we know where we stand. You know, you can look at your total scores and see how you do. Um, and that'll tell you where you, you know, if you look at the pro scores versus the backyard and see where, you know, where you level out at, that tells you where you'd have been had you gone and done a pro one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, you know, those are the guys that are bringing out a tent and bringing out a chair and, you know, the level of cookers has gone up over the years. Nobody's using a charbroil offset um, for competition. Um, you know, they're buying, I, I saw Myron mixing water in the backyard one last year. So people are spending money, big money on, on pits and whether they compete or not, that's just the way the market has gone, has gone to a high dollar, um, gone to a high dollar smoker. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? Well, plus it's, fun to buy cool stuff like that right and keep <laughs> yeah. it for yourself well i think I mean, <laughs> maybe that, that that's where the whole growth and explosion has gone into that people are able to see the value in buying a higher end smoker versus like you know some of the the pos ones that you would find at a lowe's or you know it looks like an offset but it's 250 bucks and the tolerances aren't there and it leaks like a sieve and you're basically going to end up throwing everything out that you make in there and it's going to make a really good uh <clears throat> pot planner than it yeah. is going to be a cooker. And then you're chased out of the whole sport and art of barbecue. And we certainly don't want that. But I think over time and over this growth period, people have really believed in the value propositions that companies have brought forth and the products are good. I've always said, if you're going to buy a really good offset pit, wood burner, stick burner, whatever, I mean, you're looking 1500 bucks mm -hmm. entry, but you're going to have that thing for your lifetime it's something that might get passed down it's it's a piece that's going to be there for you to keep reintroducing it to that next generation well i think the other thing is too and i mean i've seen your backyard with all the pits you got yeah you go to his house or my house you're going to see a lot of different style pits yeah you know so i think what it ultimately comes down to is <clears throat> the passion for cooking and barbecue has evolved so much with this upbringing or you know this uprising of this barbecue popularity that these backyard guys, you know, they want to cook on something different. They want to master a different style of cooking as well. So I don't think it's just one pit that people are specifically looking for. 
uh, we got guys and gals that come to the shop every day that they're getting something new every other month. It seems like. Uh, and if you look at if you look at competition barbecue over the years, it started with stick burners, then it went to uh, gravity fed, then it went to you know drums, Hunsaker drum smokers, and now it's you know guys are bringing pellet smokers yep. out there, and it's it's a it's an ebb and a flow, and it changes every couple of years, and there's something new that comes out and something cool that somebody wants to buy and and that's those people are taking that new smoker that new brand and and they're moving it out to a competition what are you most looking forward to or who are you most looking forward to seeing again or, or meeting here during the conference time you know i i mean it's always nice seeing myron seeing <clears throat> seeing smitty um you know dave raymond's here Heath Hall is here. I mean, just the names are, you know, you hate to sound like a name dropper, but those are the names of people that are here. And it's, you know, it's great to come out and see these guys every year and and get to hang out with them and talk about products and talk about barbecue. And, you know, if that's the worst thing we got to do at a convention for four days, I think it'll be all right. Mike, what's on your top of the list? Sort of re- reiterate what he said. Anytime I could spend time around Dave Raymond, Sweet Baby Ray, he's a very infectious man. Um, it, he just makes you be a better person when you're around him. So um, I gravitate towards him. I just uh, got a chance to talk to Malcolm Reed, who I'm a big fan of. Yep. Uh, we share a lot in common. Um, watch you guys. You guys did a great job. Thank you. Um, you know, just the whole community aspect of this barbecue world is what we thrive for. So, I mean, there's not just one person, but it's just a multitude of many. All right, so Code 3 Spices is the website. It's Mike and Chris here, our first guests right off the bat here at the NBBQA. Guys, really appreciate you jumping in. Thanks, Rick. You got it. Let me see if I can do this <laughs> professionally, as professional as I can. So we're going to reload here. Uh, Sterling Smith will be coming in in about 20 minutes. And uh, I will regather my bearings here, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's annual conference, the IMBBQ 2018. Stick around. We'll be right back. Ready to get on the air. Call 216-220-0966. Now, let's get back to the LeBron James of Barbecue Talk. Craig Rampey. Yeah, do not call 216-220-0966 to get on the air because you will not get on the air. Sorry. However, we are live here at the NBBQA's uh, I am BBQ 2018. Thanks to Chris and Mike from Code Three Spices. Again, that website, if you want to check it out, is CodeFreeSpices.com. That's CodeFreeSpices.com. Brett Galloway in the chat roll saying great interview. Josh Milson, nicely done, gentlemen. Thank you. Jason Waters is in as well. So a uh, nice little viewing audience. Look, I realize that uh, most normal human beings are... Uh, doing their jobs between 12 and 3 today. But, uh, you know, just in case you might have two monitors or you want to keep up on what's happening, we thought we'd go ahead and do some live stuff here uh, today. So that was uh, the guys from Code 3 Spices. Now i got to back out and get ready for uh, Sterling Smith. 
You know, some of the things that I think are uh, very important about Code 3 Spices are the fact that they are doing that donation of 25 cents uh, for every bottle of rub and sauce sold. I meant to ask them if they had any kind of a tally on the total amount. And they have, I think it's three or four different associations or uh, companies, not companies, but uh, charities that they're donating to. And they're all first responder related. So if you are somebody that uh, you know not only likes great rubs and sauces, but you want to get something that uh, might be also giving back into that community. And I think that's really kind of a large part of the barbecue and grilling community in general. There's an overriding thought of, I want to do something good for somebody else as well. And obviously that holds true with the guys at Code 3 Spices. So check them out. Again, their website is Code3Spices.com. That's Code3Spices.com. And uh, if you have any feedback, I know uh, Steve Ray was telling me to get the guy uh, first, uh, Chris, to uh, talk a little bit closer into the mic. I gained him up a little bit, but I uh, would love your thoughts on where the audio quality is here, too, uh, so we can press forward here over the next couple days and uh, hopefully bring you some really good live content. This is being recorded as well, although the first recording got dumped, but I'll be able to piece those together. So this will all be released in podcast as well. So if you're worried that you're not able to watch these live events over the course of the next three days, don't worry. They will show up in the podcast feed uh, the next day or later today. Uh, depends on what the schedule is like here for me and uh, some of the other stuff that I'll be getting. If there is somebody that you know is down here, I would love to uh, interview or somebody you would like to hear from, and you know they're down here. Uh, please shoot me an email, greg at com, and let me know, and I will do my best to do some actual interviews with these people. John Solberg is in, the producer of the Barbecue Central Show, the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Uh, John, appreciate you listening and tuning in this afternoon. By the way, we do have a brand new best of show getting ready to be released tomorrow as well so not only are we down here doing live shows from national barbecue and grilling associations conference i'll be dropping the new best moments of so if you are not subscribed to my show please go to the website thebbqcentralshow.com and at the top right there is a subscribe button go ahead and click on that and then that will bring you to the page that shows you all of these subscription options and remember if for whatever reason you're not a smartphone user or lover, or subscriber to that kind of technology, you can actually subscribe to the show via email. All you have to do is provide a valid email address, and it will deliver the new show to you right in your inbox. So all of the ways that you could possibly want to consume the show, I have going for you. So there's no excuse that you should miss live shows here from National Barbecue and Grilling Association, or the normal Tuesday show, or whatever. Now, back to Code 3 Spices. You know, it's interesting to me to have guys get into this kind of a business. Now, I remember the first time that I had Code 3 Spices on the show. And if you're not a historian of the show, I think pretty much everybody that is going to be a guest on here, I've either talked to at one point or has been a guest in recent shows and recent years and stuff like that. But I think they were on five years ago, maybe, and they had just started out. They both were working at other jobs, and Code 3 was like the side job or, or the job that they hoped to grow into at some point. 
And then maybe five or six months after they were on the show, they made the jump and went full time. So that's very exciting. And now look at them. They're uh, distributing across not only the country, but as Chris said, they have uh, shipments going to different countries. So uh, very successful. And again, if you look through their social media and other people that follow them and post stuff that they've cooked, a lot of fans, a lot of fans of their flavor profiles and different rubs. So very exciting stuff. All right. Let me run up. I had a uh, piece that I wanted to share with you guys. That's going to make a noise. I know it. You know, work, running the show off of one computer has both its advantages and disadvantages, if you can believe it. Scrolling through screens, uh, I was getting a lot of questions saying, hey, uh, you know, what, were you, what are you going to be using to connect in and this and that? So, uh, you know, I can pull back that curtain just a little bit if you want which is I have a laptop computer here, which you can see you know, right here in the live shot. And then I also am... Con- so I, like I said in the top of the show, I'm kind of my own guest. So I'm using a service called IPDTL. And it's kind of like a digital ISDN. I don't want to get into the weeds with how, how all this is happening, I guess. I'm sounding okay-ish or as close as I can to like being in the studio because I'm connecting through the service, but I'm remoting into the show computer that I have in Cleveland, so I'm having to switch screens. I have five screens at home in the home studio that I can look at randomly or as I need, so that's kind of how we're doing the show live here. I don't know if you guys saw this in the news or not, the mother and son who barbecued a relative and made a necklace out of her skull. This happened a while back. You know, I, I love to make sure that you guys are up with the weirdo barbecue and grilling news. This is according to Odie.com. Uh, this happened about five or six years ago. I don't know if you remember hearing about it, but the daughter and grandson of an 84-year-old woman who apparently died of natural causes were arrested on suspicion of cashing her retirement and Social Security checks after they cremated her body on makeshift barbecue behind their home in Corning, California. Kathleen Almond, 50, and her son, Tony Ray, not Steve Ray, Tony Ray, told investigators that Ramona Almond died of natural causes that previous December. They then left her body lying on a bedroom floor for about a week before they cremated her body on the family's barbecue pit in their house. Authorities said that they paid cash. I'm sorry. Authorities said that they cashed her welfare checks for more than $20,000, if you can believe it or not. Social Security checks. But wait, it gets weirder. Almond also made a necklace with a portion of her mother's skull which she wore around her neck. She even posted a photo of herself wearing it on, which was back then, MySpace, according to Captain Paul Holzer of the Tema County Sheriff's Department. What are people up to these days? I think my sound just went crap because I can't hear very well. Kevin Huber is in a dentist chair. All right, so I'm going to... 
I'm hearing, I'm hearing. I think I'm going to have to flush the sound here, so let me do that. And in about 13 minutes, we'll have Sterling Smith from Luton Booty, also uh, representing Green Mountain Grill. I'll clean up the sound here. You are listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Networks live from the NBBQA. Stick around. We'll be... Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. for radio you and me both all right all right so uh sterling smith right here luton booty barbecue welcome in happy to have you here thank you very much so what is your thoughts or, or what's the win for you on a national barbecue and, and grilling association conference is this something that you have attended before in the past is this your first one like what's the deal definitely this is my second year i came last year uh it was an amazing experience the first year and that's why i'm back again if you are involved in the barbecue community in any sort. If you have a uh, restaurant, a catering company, a a barbecue product, a line of rubs, seasonings. If you have, uh, you know, anything, this is the spot to be. This is where you're going to get information. This is where you have people that are already doing it that you can get information from. They're going to help you, and that's what's really unique about this conference. Is everybody's here to help. And we all want to see each other grow and see each other do well and be successful. Could you not be somebody that is selling something into or have a product or service and just be General Joe and Jane and come here and still get some value out of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. The the public can come. They can see all the people in the industry. They can talk to us. We have seminars here and um, it's just, it's for anybody. Um, it's really helped me out in my business to take it to the next level. Uh, but anybody could come to this conference and, and, and be a part of it. And, you know, barbecue is about everybody and getting everybody involved. And Are you it. slated to do some type of a talk or a breakout session or anything like that? Yes. On Saturday with Old World Spices, I will be on the rubs and sauce panel. So I'll be talking about how I got into the business, you know, my successes and my failures and, you know, how I've got to the point to where I've gotten to today. All right. So let's back it up a second. For those that don't know, uh, you know, I met a younger Sterling Smith, uh, you know, a handful of years ago after you had won an event in Arizona or maybe it was the Sam's Club or whatever it was and had you on the show and did the old, hey, let's go back and talk about the weekend, blah, blah, sure. blah. But let's roll it back a little bit. Were you somebody that was always intrigued, inspired, or interested in live fire cooking in general? Is it like something you grew up around or is it something you got into later? Definitely. it was. I've always loved cooking and I've been you know, a, a competitive person. I've played sports growing up and uh, I come from a big family. I have four brothers and two sisters. So wow. we all had something to do around the house. Yeah, right. And I gravitated <laughs> towards the kitchen with my mom. So I was helping her a lot 
uh, with cooking. And that's how I kind of, uh, she had the old Betty Crocker cookbook, the, the red and white gingham one with all the little notes in there, yeah. you know, the sticky notes yeah. of, you know, tweak this and tweak that. And I came, I, I became, you know, interested in cooking, uh, through that coming up. But then, um, I really never found barbecue like competition barbecue until I worked for UMB bank. It's United Missouri bank. They're based out of Kansas city. And I have a degree in finance from Arizona state university. And I, every year this bank had an employee barbecue competition on the grounds of the American Royal and me growing up, you know, liking to cook. I, I said, yeah, I'll go and represent Arizona. And I expected, you know, some dudes with a propane grill flipping some steaks <laughs> and burgers. I, w- I was, uh, I, I, my eyes were just, you know, I saw huge smokers and RVs and, and people making it a lifestyle almost. Yeah. And I came back to Arizona and I said, I want to do that. I mean, how, that can, do, how do I do that? That can be a completely overwhelming experience. I remember listening to Travis Clark the first time I had had him on and said, hey, you know, where were you introduced? And he was introduced at the American Royal, right. and he had, I think he had seen Pitmasters or something like that and got inspired, went down, met Johnny Trigg in person, met Rod Gray in it's person. Crazy. They're very accessible, which is great from yeah. a fan standpoint. But right. when you see what they're doing and what they have, some people can be like, whoa, yeah, you know what I mean? I can never do that. Or there are other people like you where you're like, hey, I'm all about that. I want to jump in feet first. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's for different levels. And some people do see that. They may be intimidated by the big smokers and the RVs and, you know, the amount of money that's into this competitive sport. It's crazy the amount of money that people put into it. But there's guys winning with a pop-up tent and a, and a WSM. You know, they are. It's about the time. It's about the love, the attention, the passion you're going to put into it. You know, it's not about a $10,000 smoker or not. It's, uh, you know, what you do with that smoker. So after you were inspired and you got back and you said, hey, this is something I want to look into a little bit more. How did you go about finding competition barbecue? Uh, Did you focus on sanctioning bodies? And Arizona's, you know, unique in the fact that there are IBCA competitions mm-hmm. in Arizona. There are KCBS competitions in Arizona. There was the Arizona BCS, Barbecue Society. BCS, I yeah. mean, you know, what's his Steve? Was it Steve Ryman or Mike Ryman? Mike Ryman. Yeah, so he, he runs, was doing his own thing. I mean, he runs the Barbecue Championship Series in Arizona, which is a sanctioning body yeah, as well. So it, we it have, reminded me a lot of like where Texas was a couple of years. It was kind of I don't know fractured is the right word, but there were a lot of options. Absolutely. To say. So There's, how do you look at it? You know, I mean, I, I want to cook. I don't care if it's a KCBS, IBCA, BCS, man. If it's an unsanctioned comp, you know, I'll go and cook some of those, and I, which I have done because I love cooking and I love the process of it. And win or lose, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I just love the process. You know, the popularity of – and it's anything, right? Um, before podcasting became more popular, people were just doing it. Before competition barbecue – got as popular as it is now. People were doing it in a different way. Right. And it seems that when things become more popular, there is a stigma attached with, well, you can make money doing that. Oh, yeah. I you, mean, can't, you can't get into competition barbecue and the first thought on your head is, I'm going to make some money at this. Absolutely not. When I first got into it, it was a hobby. It was what I liked to do. Yeah. You know, I had a full-time job. You know, I was in banking. Uh, I have a, f- a family, mortgage and all that. You know, it, it was something that I like to do on the weekends, you know, go grab a piece of meat and smoke it up for a couple hours. And it was, and, and then I got to a point where, you know, hey, I think I can enter some comps with this. You know, I think it's good enough. We'll see. And my first competition was an IBCA competition in Arizona. And so I really cracked my teeth on an IBCA comp. And um, we got two calls in that competition. And it, it, that set the hook, man. When you hear your name in your first competition, you're going to do that forever. You know, I see people, new teams come out in their comp and they get it's like the worst thing they can have. Oh, the worst <laughs> thing you can do is get your name called in the first comp because there you go. There's that paycheck. 
So for the folks that don't know, or if somebody just might be stumbling over the show, like what's the difference between an IBCA contest and a KCBS contest? Sure. There's, you know, different sanctioning bodies have different uh, requirements that they're going to have you turn in or present your meat in different ways. And in an IBCA, it's heavily uh, uh, down in Texas. They have mostly IBCA. So you turn in half chickens, a fully jointed half chicken, uh, nine slices of brisket, nine ribs that have to be put in a certain way on the box. Uh, KCBS is a little more, you know, you can present your meat. As long as you have six pieces in there, you can present your meat however you want to. A lot of people will garnish the boxes with green leaf or kale. When an IBCA, it's only a foil on the bottom. A lot of people like that because you don't have to mess around with garnish and play with that. And But, you know, each of them, each sanctioning body has its own, you know, pros and cons. And, you know, just work within the rules and you'll be fine. So if you're a competitor like you, it doesn't matter what sanctioning body, because some guys like to stick with, hey, I'm, I'm a KCBS guy because I like the fact that this is what I can expect mm-hmm. from a judging standpoint, right. or I like uh, uh, IBCA because I don't want to mess around with pork butt, and right. I like the fo- It's a meat contest. That's what you hear from FBA as well all the Definitely. time. So uh, you just throw it all out the window I love, and say, man. hey, I want to do it all. I love cooking, and I love the process of it, and I love the creativity of it. Um, so I'll, I'll do whatever, man. If I can cook in a random parking lot on a Saturday, man, sign me up. So let's talk about creativity as it relates to competition barbecue. Sure. It's been my contention, especially over the last uh, two, three, four years, that with the proliferation of cooking classes and everybody wanting to do what everybody else does, that whether we knew it or not, the judges were also being trained as what is good barbecue and what is winning barbecue. Right. And I don't think that there's any discussion about in the end, it's a tenderness game first and everything else second. Right. But it costs so much to do now. It does. So when you talk about creativity, and I'm getting long-winded and almost no losing my thought here, <laughs> but um, when we talk about creativity, in this instance, it seems like it's harder to want to stand out and not be penalized. Right. For instance, KCBS is garnish optional, right. but I don't know anybody that has a chance of winning that would leave garnish out because they think they're a badass and this is what's going to set them apart. Right. That judge is going to open the box and go, oh, there's no garnish in there, and they'll probably score them down unless it's just friggin' tremendous. What, what you want to do is, is cook to the judges. You know, obviously, if the judges have an expectation of what they want to see in that box or mm-hmm. what they expect to see in that box, and you want to give it to them. And if it's green leaf or kale on the bottom with six chicken thighs, then, you know, a lot of the times, then people will give them, give them what they expect. I do like to, you know, throw some different meats out there. The, the, the creativity part, I guess, comes into when we're boxing this and presenting it to the judges. There's a million ways you can do a pork box. And and, and I love being create creativity or having that creative side of, of, of thinking of a new box or laying it out a certain way. The process and the, the seasonings and the sauces, you know, that's gonna, pretty much going to be a standard of what I do in every competition. But I get to be a little creative when I put that in the box and make it stand out or pop a little bit, you know? Do you think that there will be a time, uh, especially on the KCBS side of things, where – uh, a cook might be rewarded for going outside of the box. So instead of, I hope so. Yeah. And so instead of a judge oh going, Oh, wait, that doesn't taste like I think it should taste. Right. We're going to score down. They might go, Hey, that is standing out and I might score up. I would love that. I would love to have creativity built into KCBS because, you know, a lot of us are chefs, a lot of us cooks, and we like to play around. We like to experiment with different things. Um, you know, I, as much as I do love cooking, sometimes. Competition barbecue can get redundant 
where I feel like I'm doing the same thing and turning in the same thing. So that's why I like to do IBCA and KCBS and BCS because I do get to play around with, you know, different ways to present my meat and different ways to 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 cook it, you know. But uh, I would love to see the creativity side. That would be really something that, you know, I think a lot more people would be engaged with as opposed to doing the same thing, the same four meats, putting in six chicken thighs, you know, the same same thing every time to me it gets it gets kind of redundant and i want something you know more how many events are you typically looking to do in the course of a year does it vary depending on what you have going absolutely on? it varies a lot in um 2016 i think it was probably my biggest year i did about 16 15 16 comps i'll probably do about 10 this year i've been concentrating a lot on barbecue classes you know I, i've i've gravitated towards classes i love teaching you know i can i can give you a fish fish or i can teach you how to fish yep. and i love that part of going to these different areas and teaching people you know different ways and techniques of how to cook and it's gc every weekend when i get to go teach somebody yep. you know and they enjoy it and they learn something and you know i i see people's you know the 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 light bulb goes off sometimes. They're like, oh man, I never thought of doing it that way. And that's what I love. I love seeing people, you know, getting that ideas and wanting to learn and wanting to make themselves better at anything, you know. Sterling Smith joining me here on the show, uh, Luton Booty Barbecue. Uh, obviously, also representing uh, Green Mountain Grills here while we're down in Dallas, Fort Worth, and does a lot of stuff on uh, social media, videos, and all that stuff. But we'll get into that here in a second. Have you noticed, just from a general public standpoint, since you are doing that a lot more, it's not just competition cooking class, which you've done before, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, been cla- I've been doing classes for probably about five years. So now you're on the road. You're going to places like up in Cleveland at the Heat Exchange, and you're exactly. going to another place down in Canton, you're going to some place in Missouri, wherever you're going to go. Florida, Texas, I'm all over. Dudes just like me and gals not just like me, but gals, just like gals, that are interested somewhere they've seen something or they've heard this new interest and revival of live fire cooking, and they are taking an interest in wanting to make it good. Mm -hmm. So they're attending a class and they're spending 100 bucks or 150 bucks. It's not a a $1,500 class on some competition site, so very affordable, but getting that information. Are you surprised that people are taking that much of an interest in trying to learn how to produce that product? I am I am overwhelmingly surprised that uh, the popularity that these classes have got. You know, when I first got into classes, it was just from some guys in Arizona. Hey, you're doing great, man. You ever thought about teaching? No, not really. But then I got more requests and more and more and more. So I was like, hey, man, I'm going to put on a class. Sold it out, you know? And then I said, hey, that was awesome. I love that. I love people coming together and learning and sharing ideas and I put on another one, and now I'm, you know, I'm probably going to do about ten classes this year. And um, the just seeing people engaged, and and, and they, they see barbecue pitmasters, they see Food Network, they see all these shows, and it's it's getting really popular. I mean, it's been popular for the last several years, but you know, people are really engaged in it, and they want to cook, and they want to feed their family. You know, barbecue is one of those things; it's not going to go away. Everybody's got to eat. Yep. You know, everybody's got to eat, and they want to eat well. And so, if we can show them how to do that and help them out a little bit, then it's a win-win for everybody. Aside from wanting to cook it well, I think there's been a tremendous uptick in people wanting to know everything about their food, oh, yeah. where it was raised, what it's fed, how it's grazed, you know, all this stuff. Oh, yeah, cut. It's crazy, right? Absolutely. And you know what's really cool about my classes and what I like to do, I mean, I'm always learning myself. I, mean, I think that what makes a good teacher is if a teacher is always learning. Um, I don't know everything. I don't. And I learn something every time I cook. Um, but it's beginning to get when you're instructing, you got to be out there. You have to know your stuff because people will see through it right away and you have to be authentic. 
And um, the more they want to know, the more I have to know. So I've been doing everything from meat cuts to grading. I did a meat science class at Texas Tech University and going down there to the heart of heart of Texas Tech University. Yeah, right. This is where they're, they're instructing people, yeah. man. I got to talk about meat grading and protein. And stuff. So this is what I'm giving people in the class. I'm not giving you a recipe. You know, recipes are are words on a paper. I'm going to teach you why that recipe is there. You know, why it's formulated, why the salt is there, why you do this technique or this process at a certain point. So this is what we're teaching. This is what we're instructing. It's not just a recipe. It's it's philosophy and a way to cook. You know. You see both sides of it. You see competition side because you do competition, yeah. and then you see the backyard warrior side of things. Uh, not only because you're around people in the backyard or you're doing a show like me where the, the guy, you know, the host is a backyard yeah, guy. I absolutely. would never compete. Um, do, do you think that you're seeing, you know, a rise in backyard uh, popularity and maybe a, a dip in where the competition popularity was? I think the, the competition popularity really, I think it peaked a couple of years ago, you know, right after the barbecue pit masters came out, everybody saw that, everybody wanted to be a pit master. What, what needs to happen or what I think needs to happen is, you know, we, we need to start engaging more. I mean, can't these big society, Kansas City Barbecue Society, I think they can engage um, the teams more. And you've seen what, uh, you know, the guys from Shake and Bake and Brad. Uh, National Barbecue League. National Barbecue League. You know, it's if they're out promoting, they're, they're kind of promoting themselves. You know why? Not kind of. No, but, well, yeah, <laughs> not true. But they're doing it because, you know, nobody else is. Nobody's going to promote you. So they're going out and doing it, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to promote myself. I'm going to go out and make shit happen because that's what I do. Do you yeah. think that that is – so, I mean, I get what they're doing. Um, I tried to have Tim Shear on a couple weeks ago, and we just weren't able to link up for whatever reason. But do you think that while uh, I understand exactly what they're trying to do, and I think it's been – especially if you go back and listen to all my uh, – this guy won the team of the year for blah, 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 uh, follow-up interview that I usually do. Yeah. Uh, are you going to do it again? Oh, hell no. I'm not going to try and repeat right. because it's a marathon season. Or and then what do you get at the end? Maybe you get some cash, maybe you get a belt buckle or yeah. whatever, but you're not on television. You're not doing radio interviews. You're not doing TV interviews, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's a hobby. So you want that promotion. Yeah. So I get what they're trying to do, but do you think doing it in that way alienates anybody else? Or is that just a bunch of jealous bitches that would be... Here's the deal. If anybody's alienated by anything then they need to look within themselves and make something happen. You're probably alienated or you feel offset or off-putting because somebody's actually out there doing it. And these guys are actually doing it. And if you can't support that and be a part of it and, and want to emulate that, then you're probably just hating. Absolutely. Do you think it would be um, better served or do you think it would hold more weight if the National Barbecue League was its own league? So they... I don't want to say jettison KCBS, but I think that's kind of like where a little bit of hard feelings is at yeah. least. Oh yeah. So have your scoring system, have your teams put on your own season, and then you have National Barbecue League. And there well, you go. Just like any other sanctioning body. I mean, Arizona has Mike Grime created BCS, the Barbecue Championship Series, and he has you know actual sponsors behind this. We so had Lowe's as a sponsor for him. Yep. So anybody can create a sanctioning body, and anybody can create a a league or whatever. It's just about credibility. You know, I can go out in my yard and say, hey, come join Sterling Smith, Luton Booty Bar. But I have to have credibility. And you want to know that you're going to get paid. You want to know infrastructure's there. You have to know all that. So anybody can go out and do this. You just have to have credibility behind you. And you have to have the infrastructure. So these guys are doing great. Continue to do it. You know, why not? You need sponsors, whether you're trying to put on Money. a National Money. Barbecue League thing or, or whatever. Yeah. Is there a way? It seems like 
from my perspective, a lot of the same people are getting hit up for sponsorships. Oh, yeah. And at some point, that well is going to dry up or they're going to become a little disenfranchised. Like, hey, why are we the people? Is there a way that barbecue as a whole can approach other sponsors or bring other interest in to keep that money coming in to grow the sport? You know, there's always ways to attract more people. And it goes back to what, you know, Brad and Tim and these guys are doing with MBBQL is, is getting information out there. You know, they're doing amazing videos. They're doing a, a pork trim uh, video and it takes them, you know, two minutes to trim that pork. The, yeah. This information out there, Travis Clark is trimming his brisket, you know, on, on Facebook for everybody to see. How cool is that? Yeah. That they're putting this information out there. And I think the more that we do it, the more they do it, the more I do it, that the more eyes and the more people start to see it. And they're like, oh man, this is gaining traction. This is something really cool. Maybe we need to just get behind this. So the more that we can do, the more we can get out there and, and push, you know, information and, and the knowledge out there, then, you know, I, absolutely more sponsors will come in and they're going to see that it's, it's gaining popularity and people are interested in this. And that's what sponsors want to see. They want to see return. You know, they're not going to throw money at you. You know, I get hit up all the time. I have a product, you know, yeah, hey, right. can you, can you sponsor me? And that's the end of it. I mean, what's, what's the return there? You know, make me want to sponsor you. So, you know, as you're doing these videos, as, as I'm doing classes, as I'm uh, gaining, you know, awareness and gaining fans, uh, you know, sponsors are going to start seeing that and they're, they're going to come back around. Absolutely. Sterling Smith joining me here on the show. Uh, Sterling, let's talk a little bit about uh, the name on your shirt there, Green Mountain Grills. Sure. Um, obviously, they've been around. They're one of the leaders in the pellet grill industry at this point. And I guess from a high level first, are you surprised at where pellet grills started? I mean, it was Traeger you mm-hmm. know, back in the day. And oh, yeah. It was a weird Traeger, and now it's back to being more Traeger of old than right. you know, the most recent version of Traeger. Um, are you surprised at how popular pellet grills have become? No, I'm not at all. I mean... We, as we move into our, our society and technology, you know, it, it's coming to that point where we want stuff done for ourselves. You know, we have, we have the Alexa. We it's have the laziness a, of it, America, it, right? It is. It is. I want, I want, I want something and I want it now. You know, that's our, that's our society. And with, and with the pellet smoker, you can take that hour long pro- hours and hours of shoveling coals and getting the temperature right managing temps and you to to get a bur- to get a brisket at the end you can do it at the push of the button so we're actually taking that and giving it to the giving them people what they want they want barbecue and they want it easy so we're going to do it and then the Traeger's doing an awesome job green mountain grills we're growing uh, there's other you know pellet companies that are hitting the brand right you know, they they see what's going on so they're going to start pushing out more products as well so as we go through this we're going to see more you know pellet uh, uh, manufacturers enter you know the industry right now so obviously your competition success and your cooking success probably breeds some type of a communication from green mountain grills how does that partnership start and uh, what are you guys doing together sure man i've been i worked with uh, green mountain grills i met jason baker the you know uh heavily in green mountain grills you know it's family family owned company uh, about five years ago at a, uh, a sam's club event he was helping out a team i think from alaska he came down and set up tents and i had a my davy crockett that i bought at a uh, barbecue island yeah, yeah. In, in phoenix and i was cooking my chicken on it and he came by and walked in you know we started talking i said hey man i love this little kicker i didn't know he he didn't know me i didn't know him yeah. we started talking over barbecue you know a couple years later i became a brand ambassador so i did a bunch of their cooking videos for them you know go back to those days we did some you know really low budget videos with what they look like now yeah. but you know that's comes from learning and doing it and you get better you know the more you do but um, I started as a brand ambassador, so I, I represent Green Mountain Girls at various events. 
I also do their videos for them, some social media branding content. And now um, coming into this year, I took a more active role as a sales rep covering New Mexico and Colorado. So I'm also the brand ambassador and I'm a sales rep. So I cover those two states and work with existing retailers and then work on, you know, growing more within, uh, you know, the designated areas. So Green Mountain Grill takes a unique uh, or, or I guess what could be perceived as an old school way of, of doing sales. So you have reps to go out and call on what would be the end retailer to the end user. Exactly. Because uh, Jason, and by the way, uh, unsolicited Jason Baker is like one of the best human beings on the face Amazing of the earth. So, Amazing guy. Um, but he believes that the success of Green Mountain Grill is brought through the reps to teach the people that are going to be selling it to the end user because right. – the last thing you want to have is, hey, I saw this thing somewhere or it was on Amazon and it says it's super easy. Then you get it home and then you didn't do it right once and all of a sudden it's it on the return the truck back. Exactly. He wants to build that value. He wants to take away the buyer's remorse potential. Right. And uh, I mean, I personally believe that's probably a better strategy at doing some of the other ones. Definitely. But you're the guy that's out there in the territory working it. When you're approaching dealers or those end sellers to the end users, what are they saying about the product? You know, they love the product. A lot of are seeing growth in that pellet industry so they're actually looking to add so i'm actually have i i get hit up every day hey i want to add pellet grills so we look strategically on where we want we don't want to stack you know i don't want a dealer across from a dealer that's not our philosophy when we want to drive uh customers to the dealers as well we're not going to sell our product on our own website uh so we're not going to compete against our dealers so we're actually going out there and what i'm seeing is when i'm going out to these retailers you know i'm teaching them about the product and i'm showing them and it's an amazing process when you start teaching instead of just selling you know let's teach let's educate and then they're going to teach and educate their customers as well so it, it goes down from there but it starts with the manufacturer and it starts with us on educating our retailers so they can educate the end customer how many do you have any idea how many dealers there are right now across the country across the country oh man uh, nationwide i'm not a, i'm not 100 sure on that i have in new mexico and colorado i have about 45 to 50 retailers wow. right now. So is there a pretty stringent process to go through? Like if I called you up and said, hey, I want to be a Green Mountain Grill dealer, like what's the... Yeah. Uh, the process that you have to go through for anybody that would yeah. be listening that has a shop. I have people call me up or they'll send an email and say, how do I become a, uh, a retailer? So what we want to do first is talk to them. We want to learn about your store. You know, what are you selling now? What products are you selling now? How are they selling? How are they moving? And where are you located? Because if you're located across from another one of my GMG dealers, it's probably not going to happen just because we don't want to stack and we don't want our dealers competing, yep. you know, against each other right across the road, which a lot of other manufacturers do. They'll have, you know, uh, four corners with four people selling their product. And we're not going to do that because we want to drive people and we want to make those dealers unique. So they are the ones, the educated ones. So we're going to vet the dealer. We're going to ask them questions about their business. We're going to make sure they're in an awesome area. And then we're going to work with them to grow. We just don't want you to put an application. Okay, go, go sell some uh, grills, you know, good luck. No, I, I want to, in my States, I want to hold your hand. I want to help you, yeah. you know, because the more you do and the better you do, then the better I'm going to do. And we're going to do as a company. You know, so I'm I'm really there to educate and 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 vet kind of who we're who we're going to add on as a dealer because we're just not going to add anybody. We want specific, you know, uh, retailers in certain areas. I would have to imagine that you bring an extra special value if you're in your territory. You can say, hey, not only do you know we want to put grills in here and help you become a dealer. By the way, I'm pretty good at frigging cooking, and we can do <laughs> classes, so that's going to drive more people into the stores. Absolutely, as well. it's been a it's been a, a win 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 
scenario yep. for me coming on as a dealer because I have my own product as well. I have my own line of rubs and sauces. So Green Mountain Grills allows me to, you know, sell and promote my own rubs and sauces while I'm uh, on the road. And then I'm, you know, working with these dealers and, and helping them grow and attract more customers is these classes. You know, if I can come and do a class for you and help your business grow, then let's talk about what we can do. It's it's amazing to come into some of these places who already sell GMGs and they'll I'll walk in and they'll be like, you're the guy. You're you're him. You're the dude. I'm like, what are you talking? About? What do you? Because I, I forget, you know. I don't know. I'm just yeah, going about my I name. Hear you. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, you're on the videos. Oh, and then that, you know, oh yeah, I do those. You know, so it's cool <laughs> to see that people they'll they want to talk barbecue, and yeah. I love that, man. It's so cool to to be able to to go and, and and see the dealers and then give them my love and passion, not just for you know a smoker, but my product as well. So you have Jim Bowie, you have Daniel Boone, you have Davy Crockett. Those yes. are the three cookers. Oh, uh, there's also the big pig rig. The big pig rig. The big pig rig. What it's, is that? It's a trailer smoker. It's the it's the Green Mountain Grill, a uh, whole hog trailer smoker. Yeah, it's a big boy. Has that been out? Yeah, it's been out for several years now. They don't market <laughs> a lot. There's a few of them actually out there. I'm gonna get one soon, but uh, they do have the uh, big pig rig. Wow. Yeah. What kind of price points on that? Uh, I think the re- cost it's a trailer. trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's a full on trailer smoker. Yeah. You know, attached. It's uh, offhand. Forty-five hundred, you know. Don't, okay, so don't not, quote me on that. Terrible, yeah. Don't quote me on it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came out was it a pizza? Oh, two years. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's like my favorite product ever. When I'm doing the reads on my show for Green Mountain Grills, I always say, hey, if you're gonna get Jim Bowie or if you're gonna get Daniel Boone, no matter what, mm-hmm. decide which size you want. The good news is that either one of them is gonna be able to accommodate this pizza oven. And if you are into the craze, and I said back in 2017 that this high heat pizza craze was going to go on here for the next couple of years, this is a great, very inexpensive option. Absolutely. You can pull the grill grates out, pull out the deflector shield, pop this thing right down on the fire pot, and light it up in a way 10, 15 yeah. minutes, whatever you set it at. And I think what is it, the rule of thumb is wherever you set the cooker at, double on the stone or, or inside there, somewhere around there. Roughly around there. I'm, I'm setting mine around 325 on the cooker. Yeah, that's and I'm, where cooking I at, I'm cooking at 650 on yeah. the stone, approximately yeah. 700 degrees. But the really cool thing about this pizza attachment is, you know, for $125, you turn your smoker into a into a, into a wood-fired pizza yep. oven. Uh, it's cooking really hot and fast. I mean, I'm doing pizzas in two minutes on this thing. Uh, you can also take the pizza stone out. I put grill grates on that thing. I have seared steaks at a thousand Really? Degrees. Yeah. It's very... And once you start taking things apart and learning yeah, yeah. heat and everything, you can play with that thing a lot. So like aluminum foil I put first? Alu- yeah, then- aluminum foil, put the grill grates on, and you get a really, really high high heat sear on that uh Pizza oven so will you, will you go like reverse sear on oh, yeah. that and then I'll stick it, it into the Green Mountain Grill? I'll smoke that steak for until yeah. it's about 130 internal and then pull it out, crank it up really high, and then get in my sear at the end. So from a pizza standpoint, and a lot of people are getting into it now, we have pizza parties you know, oh, yeah. fairly regularly at my house. And it's really fun because, as you said, they take a couple minutes. Yeah. You can crank out a decent-sized pie. And this will accommodate you know, a, a full-size oh, pie yeah, depending absolutely. on how you make it. Um, you know, we don't need to get in the weeds on dough and all that stuff, but if you have a good dough recipe or like me, I have access to a mm-hmm. really great Italian restaurant, 89 cent dough yep, balls, exactly. and I cut them in half and away we go. Um, do you have tips on making a good high heat pizza or strategies Definitely. to give yourself the best success? Definitely. We've actually, uh, me and a local chef in Phoenix, we, uh, he's a, a, a 
an Italian chef, a classically Michelin four-star trained chef. We actually did a video on the pizza oven attachment and we did some pizzas. So obviously we want to use the, the, the double O flour, which is a a finer grain. So it's going to be milled more. It's going to be more powdery. So I always use that because the glutens are going to hold together better. Um, I I add yeast and water, pretty much those three things. Um, I do like getting the preformed one at the grocery store these days, you know, the same people that are buying a, a Green Mountain Grill for the push button are yeah, the right. same people that's going to buy right? a dough that's already done, you know? <laughs> I so get it. I use those all the time and just portion them out. You know, you want to make sure that the dough is room temperature. It's going to be more pliable so you can work with it more. Uh, and then you don't want to make it too wet. Once you start, you know, these pizzas are cooking for two minutes. Uh, so I don't put any raw meat on. You know, if I want to do meat, I do it pre-cooked and then just put, put it on top. So you want to make sure your meat's cooked. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm turning every minute or so. I'm going to take that pizza and give it just like a little – uh, you know, 90 degree turn just because I want even cooking and everything. And I do that in competition barbecue as well. Maybe I'm a little bit over obsessive about the way things look, but you eat with your eyes first. So, yep. you know, I, I'm constantly watching it, but two minutes later, you got a perfect pizza and just like anything with cooking, keep an eye on it, you know? Do you recommend that people ramp up into that, you know, if it's 450 degrees on the cooker, you're going to be in that 900? I mean, a lot of people talk about wanting to get that 1,000 degree oven. Right. Um, I've found just from my personal experience, it can get out of hand like really quick and you can never bring it back. It's like overcooking a steak, right? Definitely, so definitely. Um, I found in that 615, 625 range is the best for me because I have a little bit more control over it. I might have to wait an extra minute right. or a minute and a half, but I think I have that to spare. What's a minute? I think you're okay. When you're, <laughs> when you're cooking a pizza in right. two and a half minutes, what's a minute? But uh, absolutely, you know, definitely watch your heat. Um, uh, like you said, uh, if you're around 325 on the cooker, you're going to be around 6, 650 on that stone because it's going to radiate heat. So a lot of people at the beginning were cranking this thing up to six you know 500 degrees yeah, right. the max it'll go and that stone was burning everything so you just want to make sure you know your heat's right in line but you know keep it around 300 on the dial and you'll be fine all right so uh last thing to talk about here before i let you go and i appreciate the time as always sterling uh you'd mentioned the rubs and sauces uh the guys from co3 were just in there before you obviously another rub and sauce company and great guys the first thing i said to them was look i mean seven or eight years ago you could walk down an aisle in your grocery store and you had a very small select number of rubs sauces spices blah 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 now when i go to giant eagle in (laughs) cleveland like there's a whole aisle million of them right yeah i mean so uh, to me that's like potential market saturation there could be some white noise and as somebody that's going to jump into it i mean your eyes are wide open you know that there's a lot of options out there right now absolutely how do you bring something to market and get above adding more noise how do you separate yourself you know that's that's what that's why i'm here you know, that's why I'm at MBBQA. Right. So I can learn from people who've done it. You know, these guys are out there. Trying. But what does sweet baby Ray know about sauce? I mean, come on. <laughs> Actually, Dave was emailing me a couple months ago back and forth. We had yeah. different questions. But how cool is that? That I right. got Dave from Sweet Baby Ray right. emailing me some like tips and suggestions on way to grow my ways to grow my business. That's that's invaluable to me. So I, I think that what I have to do is I have to bring authenticity to it. It's gotta be legit. You know, this is legit rubs and sauce. It's winning. It's yep. we, we wins all over. And I have to I have to let people know that because they don't know. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my sauce and my rub. I have to, that's I'm going doing classes in all these countries. And what I'm doing is planting seeds in all these different states everywhere. I'm, I'm bringing my product to them. I'm letting them taste it. That's how I'm going to have my product stand out. Initially, when you look at a wall, I mean, you're kind of overwhelmed. So I think initially you have to have a logo. Something's got to stand out. Something's got to say, man, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to buy that. You know, if you got a lot of stuff going on, you know, people don't have time to, to look at all that. They want something that's going to stand out. And usually 
usually when they go to buy a rub or a sauce, they, they're going to cook. They already know what they're cooking. I'm cooking ribs. Okay, let me see what's – is there a rib rub? Something that says rib, you know, that's going to stand out. So, you know, even putting on it, what it is, what's this rub going to do? Uh, so it's got to stand out, and then after that, it's got to be good. You know, they can buy anything and, and anybody can get on a shelf, but if you don't sell and you don't have repeat sales, then you're going nowhere. So it's got to be good. Uh, it's got to stand out. It's got to be good. And then you have to build the brand. You have to build customers, you know? So and that's what we do in social media and classes and all this is building customers. Right. We're building fans. So let's talk about recipe and development. When you first, I mean, obviously you realize you got something that you, you want to bring to market, but... Right. Does it take a certain amount of time for you to realize, hey, okay, I'm making this at home. I think I got it dialed in, and now it's time to contact the co-packer and really make it legitimate? Absolutely. And I got lucky in a way where I, I was doing that. I was batching small. I had some commercial rubs, and I was adding this, adding this, put move this here, and you know, add a little bit of this and of this to make it my, I guess, uniqueness to yep, it. Yep. Um but I got lucky by going to the American Royal in 2014. And that year, Old World Spices had the rub program where if you placed you know, high in each category, you can have a, an opportunity to have your rub featured in this American Royal Championship right, line. Right, right. Man, that year in 2014, I took first in chicken in the open or the invitational, seventh in ribs, second in pork, 19th in brisket, reserve grand champion in the open. So Old World Spices contacted me right after that and said, hey, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I opted in to be in that program sure, sure. and they contacted me. So you did awesome. Hey man, let's, let's talk about this rub. And I said, perfect. Um, you know, I have this something I'm developing right now, but I got lucky in that sense where I, mean, I did well enough to where they contacted me to say, Hey, let's start developing something and, and get a rub out there. And man, I took it and ran with it. You know, how long does it take from that communication to having something that goes out on the it show? Was, it was a year. It was easily really? a year. Yeah, it was easily a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I, I was formed because they wanted my recipe, obviously. We yeah. signed non-disclosures and all that. But when you're going from, you know, make it in a bowl in your home to, you know, 500-pound batches, yeah. you know, things are going to be off. So I was testing. I was t- They would send me batches. I would test it. We'd try it on food. And then, oh, maybe I need more of this, more of that due to my flavor. So it's probably about a year. And then with packing, with labels, with the whole thing, it takes time. So from that time to when I had my first bottle, it was probably about a year. I remember talking to Matt Barber from Hot Wachulas. You know, his business is uh, co-packing barbecue oh, yeah. sauce, stuff like that. And, and one of the things that he told me was, you know, if you ever think that you're going to get into the rub business or the sauce business... However you can, don't do a teaspoon of this <laughs> and a cup of this. Yeah, wait. Do it by weight. Wait. So yeah. when you have weight at home, if you decide you want to take that next step and go to the company pack, well, you can send them the weights and they can scale exactly. up. Exactly, they can scale Did it up. Did you do that? Or Not at the beginning. I had no clue. <laughs> I had no clue, dude. No, I didn't do weight. I just did a tablespoon of this. How much of this in there? I don't know. A heaping tablespoon. You know, that doesn't work. When you're going to specific and, and consistency, obviously, you want consistency. Right. So, you know, going from your house and mixing it in a bowl to a manufacturing facility, you have to have those weights. You have to have sciences because it's got to be consistent. You know, it has to be the same product every time. Do they talk to you about price point and, oh, yeah. and where you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, is that contentious at all or do you just kind of take their word as you have the experience and we'll start there? Um, pretty much. I kind of took it. I reached out to several co-packers. I had about two or three that I was talking to because I wanted to make sure, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wanted to make sure I was getting the right yeah, price. Right. Yeah, it was all online, you know, and, and working with the world spices for the last several years, they've been, they've been a part of my business. You know, I want people in part, uh, that's 
part of my business is going to help me grow as well. So they've been family. They've been great. They've been distributing for me. They've been getting out and presenting my product to new retailers. So, you know, as much as I can go out and help them help me, it's, it's going to help all of us. Right. And, and me going out and doing these classes and doing interviews or being here, you know, it, it, it's putting a spotlight on me and my products. And it, it, I'm, I'm going to do that till, till I die. Where can you get the products right now? Oh, right now it's sold nationally at Bass Pro Shops, uh, Sportsman's Warehouse. I picked up Barbecues Galore, which has 23 locations recently. Really? Uh, yeah, that was a guy. We actually went out and cooked for their corporate headquarters in California a couple of weeks. And so that was really cool because we got to teach their their all their employees in their store how to cook on a Green Mountain Grill and how to sell my product. Wow. So we're going out to these places and showing them using this product and, you know, educating. But um, so barbecues galore, a, mil- a mom and pops across the country. I'm working on a couple more big box things right now. Ace hardware, uh, any Ace hardware in America can carry my rubs. Uh, they're available through the RSC, the retail. So you have to centers. request that. You have to request it. And what they'll do is, so if you're listening, go to your local Ace, say, Hey, I want loot and booty rub, everything rub in the gold star. And they can look it up in their system and they'll, request it and then i'll start to get backfilled and then i'll start doing orders so right now i'm in this push to, to have all these ace hardwares order it right now to get it you know is that where the rub success and the sauce success for you will ultimately lie is getting in to as many stores and, and brick and mortar places or are the guys from code three said you know it's a, it's a balance you got to have an online presence you got to be in stores Absolutely. because maybe People don't want to pay shipping, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you have an ace. You yeah. say, hey, okay, now it's here. And I think there's a, there's a weird stigma for as pervasive as the internet is and for how much you have access to everything at any point. People still get hung up on shipping for oh, yeah. some reason. Well, I have a website and I ship from my website. So I have inventory, which I distribute uh, locally in Phoenix. I do all the distributing. Um, I also have my website. And since I have product, I might as well have a website. And I yeah. charge a flat fee, $9.99 shipping. And so some people will come on my website and order one bottle of rub for ten ninety nine and pay nine ninety nine ship. They will, yeah. and I'll gladly send it to you. But um, you know, I have both the the local distributorship, the website. I have national distribute. So it is about you know, the more eyes on you, the more people, the more people know your product, the more yeah. likely to buy. Uh, from a competition standpoint, what do you have on the docket here coming up? Oh, man. Uh, Sholo Barbecue Competition, the beginning of May. Uh, I signed up for that. The end of May is Boulder City. It's a big one in uh, Boulder City, Nevada. They've had that competition for about, I think, 10 years now. It's a mm-hmm. great competition. Um, those two are on the rise in May. April is full of classes. I'm going to be scheduling more classes. Um, intermingled with competitions here and there just because I love it. You know, I, I love the competition size, win or lose. But uh, these classes are really what I'm gravitating towards and kind of pushing more, you know. And this is a full-time job for you. You're not the uh, the finance guy anymore. No, right? uh, two years. It's been about two years. I quit my banking job to, uh, you know, I told myself I can I can put 50% in this banking job and 50% in this barbecue. I can do 100% of something and banking lost. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it, it's on me to to push it and to drive it. You know, it's it's now it's a hundred percent me. Yeah, this right. is it. I have a mortgage. Now I you're a wife, invested. I got kids. I'm. Oh my god, you don't even yeah. know. Yeah. So if I want it to grow and if I want it to do something, then I have to go do it, make it happen. You know, but people will reach out to me about, oh, I have this rub. How do I get out there? Ask. Go go to your local grocery store. I don't care. Anybody who sells a rub, ask. Yep. Tell them. Give it to them. Try it. Cook with it. And ask. Keep asking until they tell you not to. You know. And you'll get you'll get places. If you never ask, it's always a no. That's right. It's always a no. Uh, what's the website in case people want to check it out? It is uh, Loot 
N Booty B O O T Y B B Q dot com. All right, Booty dot com. It's uh, Sterling Smith again. The website LootonBootyBBQ.com. Check out his rubs and sauces. If you have an Ace, I think Ace is like everywhere. Everywhere. Anymore. I got There's one right down the street from me. They're everywhere. Ask for it. They will back. Eventually, it will get to you, so you Absolutely. don't have to pay the shipping charges. Uh, Sterling, always appreciate the time, my man. Anytime. Great love to it. see I love you it. in person. This is great. Second guest right there in the shoot for NBBQA. Yes, yes, sir. All right, man. Have appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. All right, that's uh, Sterling Smith from Loot and Booty. Again, the website, lootandbootybbq.com. We're doing it live here from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association here in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Mike Mills potentially coming up here in about 15 minutes from now. Seems like the longer we stay on, the crappier the audio gets. So I don't know if we're going to be flushing out. Well, I mean, we're going to flush out, but that way, well, we still got some people on the on the live side, so that's good. All right, so I'm going to uh, readjust here and step away when we come back. I'll have some updates as far as what's happening here on the NBBQA side of things, and then hopefully Mike Mills coming up to close out the show. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network, live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's conference here in Fort Worth, Texas. Stick around. We'll be right back. The only show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue. A man actually named Meathead. The author of a barbecue Bible. Bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. And uh, I want to thank Sterling Smith for joining me the last segment a little different show than normal. I usually were very segmented, 20 minutes, 15 minutes here, whatever. I uh, figured I'd change it up this time since we're not overly sponsored. We have a lot more flexibility to talk at length with the guests, which is great. And that was Sterling Smith. Uh, LootonBootyBBQ.com is his website. So if you are interested in... Uh, Kelly, don't worry about it. Just keep going in and out. It's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Cal Phelps right there, National Barbecue News. He's a creator there. I think Sterling is uh, very infectious as he is talking. And uh, you can tell from his voice, you know, look, from a host standpoint, what do I always say? I want somebody that has definitive views on things. I want somebody that is going to bring a point of view that uh, whether you agree or disagree is something that obviously can be uh, palatable from an energy feel uh, that talks well. Uh, Sterling obviously talks very well. And uh, the fact that he is uh, willing to convey that, you know, there's been uh, any number of times when I have talked to somebody off air and said, hey, I would love to cover this, or hey, I read that you said X or Y. Uh, it potentially could be controversial. And then actually schedule them time on the show and when it comes right down to being able to talk about it well when the air's on and it's recording and it's going to go up for podcast well we change our minds just a little bit and we're all of a sudden not so anxious to do this or not so anxious to do that and that doesn't make for a really great live segment when we've prepared one thing and we end up getting another so sterling has always been 
uh, very to the point and uh, very upfront and honest with what he's looking to do and uh, his feelings in the barbecue industry, whether it relates to competition or whether it relates to going out and doing these cooking classes. Now, uh, from the last time that we had talked, I didn't know that he was also a uh, uh, like a sales manager of sorts for Green Mountain Grills. But here's a product. I mean, look, uh, the total disclosure in case you didn't know or you're just running over this show for the first time ever uh, green mountain grills is a sponsor of this show and they have been for any number of years as i said jason baker and his family have uh, supported me has it been six years seven years now jason i mean maybe it uh, seems uh, it, i mean to me uh, i was just telling somebody last night when we were talking uh before i got into the uh, it nightmares of trying to set up the sound that if you ask me do you remember x or do you remember y to me, it's always like two or three years ago. So if you ask me, when did Green Mountain Grill start with you? I think two or three years ago, just like uh, Barbecue Guru and just like Butcher Barbecue. But when you actually go back and track back when they actually started with the show, it's plus five years. Uh, Barbecue Guru has been with me since the very inception of what was then the Barbecue Central Show podcast before I even did a live show. So... Uh, most of my sponsors, uh, except for uh, Southside Market and Barbecue, which just came on a couple weeks ago, and then Traeger. Before that, I mean, you know, a Fireboard was obviously uh, new this year. Uh, Smithfield has been on now for the second year, but everybody after that has been on five plus years. So I certainly appreciate the their uh, everybody's support of the show. Uh, people are finding value and doing something with me and helping me uh, be a voice for their product and bringing value, uh, which I certainly appreciate. Um, so talking with Sterling and, and he's very infectious. He actually did a class up in Cleveland, Ohio at the heat exchange, uh, which is on the West side of Cleveland. And is really, if you're in Cleveland, Ohio, that's really like the only place you should be going for barbecue and grilling related items. They have a trained staff, obviously green mountain grills is their training, but they have, uh, great names from the industry like Chris Marks, who does the good one smoker. He does classes there as well. So you have these guys who are very accomplished in the competition market, but are also very accomplished regular cooks in general and have the product knowledge that they are putting into those stores and then show back up a couple times a year to do classes and help bring that extra value as it relates to those products. So thanks again to Sterling Smith for stopping by. Again, that's Loot N L O O T and the letter N Loot and Booty BBQ.com if you want to check out his spices and rubs. And again, uh, and Ace really seems to be blowing it up. I mean, they were around the last couple years uh, and seem to get into it a little bit more over the last couple years. Uh, always been big retailers of a lot of fine outdoor live fire cooking items. But to me, it's been stepped up a notch almost to, let's call it like a Smithfield level. Like all of a sudden, like you knew Smithfield was around in the last couple of years. All of a sudden, Smithfield really stepped it up and started investing into the world of competition barbecue. They've always been in the backyard, but uh, competition barbecue, they really stepped up. Same thing as a whole for uh, Ace, uh, True Value. So if you have something as a store around you, and as I told Sterling, it seems like they're all over the place. Uh, he's on SKU, so just go ahead and request that the Loot and Booty rubs be sent to your store, and uh, they will help you make that happen. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm broadcasting live from the uh, National Barbecue and Grilling Association. <laughs> 
Um, hopefully, in about seven minutes, uh, eight minutes from now, Mike Mills from 17th Street Barbecue will be joining me, and uh, we will talk to him about uh, really what is a legendary career, what is a Barbecue Hall of Fame career. He was inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame in 2010. He is a three-time winner of the uh, Memphis in May World Barbecue Championship. And yeah, it's uh, going to be a very exciting time. And uh, I'm really looking forward to He's been on the show once. I don't know if anybody remembers. And holy moly, I, I would say two or three years ago he was on, but it was probably like seven years ago. I was doing a segment. I think it was called Dry Environment versus Moist Environment from the cooking chamber standpoint. And I had Mike Davis from Laudable Barbecue, and he was on the uh, dry environment cooking side because at that point he was cooking on a jambo pit, I believe, uh, which he has since uh, not used. I believe he uses uh, is it Superior Smoker or Championship Smokers? Uh, I forget what the name of that one is, but uh, still an offset style pit, wood burning pit. And then uh, Mike Mills was taking more of the uh, moist environment standpoint. I mean. Talk about a host's dream come true to have those two legends talk about why their uh, preferred environment, whether it be moist or whether it be dry, be uh, to their particular advantages. It was a, a really good interview and a really good segment. So you can go back. If you go to my website, thebbqcentralshow.com, and then in the search box, you can type in Mike Mills, and it will recall that and you can go back and listen to that very exciting uh don't forget we will also be running a new version of the best moments of the barbecue central show in 10 minutes or less tomorrow i got to get that locked and loaded after we do live show tonight so that will be available in your feed again if you are not subscribed to my barbecue central show or not subscribed to the podcast feed it's very easy to do all you have to go uh, all you have to do is go up to the top of the website, thebbqcentralshow.com, and there is a button that, or there's a text link that says subscribe. Click on that, and then that will bring you to the subscription page. And then you have a variety of options. If you do iPhone, you can subscribe through iOS. If you have Android, you can go through the Google platform. Um, so it's a uh, uh, very easy for you to get it through your smartphone. Uh, and if you, again, like I said in the second or the first hour, if you're not into the smartphone stuff, that's fine. You can subscribe to the show through email if you have to. If that's the only way you can do it, then I'm more than happy to uh, have you subscribe through email and you'll wake up every Wednesday and you will have the show in your inbox. In fact, if you subscribe to my show through email, Send me a screenshot of what it looks like when it hits your inbox, and I will send you a box of sauce. Okay? How about that? That's very exciting. Here's what we're going to do. Now that I'm thinking about it, I got lost. I had all these great ideas for the live show, and then the sound has uh, really threw me for a loop because I'm, I'm wondering when it's going to go out and if it's going to go out and, and whatever. So uh, let's do a giveaway. Here we go. Check this out. I even had, uh, do you remember these? Here we go. Now's the time where we give stuff away. People give us stuff on the show to give away. No money for you. That's why it's free. That's why it's free. Send an email on its way when I tell you to. That's why we give stuff away. Okay, 
Well, that was very exciting. Yes, I voiced and or sang that particular run-up. So here's what we have. Brand new, freshly minted and printed, the Barbecue Central Show t-shirts, which Texas correspondent Doug Scheiding brought to me earlier today. You can win, and I have barbecue sizes available if you know what I'm talking about. Barbecue sizes. I have a selection of 4XL shirts. I have a selection of 3XL shirts. I have a selection of 2XL shirts. And I do have normal human extra-large t-shirts, if you're so inclined. All you have to do is be the first one in with an email and in the subject line. Put the legend. The legend. Sorry for production here. I'm usually a lot tighter than this in the studios in Cleveland. That's all right. Uh, So again, first email in with the subject line, The Legend. And you can get a 4X, a 3X, a 2X, or extra large t-shirt. Never been seen before and will be available for sale. You get it for free. The Barbecue Central Show t-shirt. And on the back, it says, we'll do it live. Does it get any better than that? No. Good luck. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Of course, uh, you can talk all you want, but when you're on mute, you know, nobody ever hears you. Again, we <laughs> welcome back. We are broadcasting live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IMBBQ 2018 event here in Fort Worth, Texas. I know everybody is wondering who gets the first T-shirt. And the first one in with the subject line, the legend Charles McCulligan wins a Barbecue Central Show T-shirt. And he is 3X fat. So, uh, Charles, I will go ahead and get your shipping info. Uh, But you did win, Scott. I'm sorry you were a little late. Keith Harris, you are a little late. But Charles wins the T-shirt. Uh, joining me now uh, is a man who literally needs no introduction. All I need to tell you is that his name is Mike Mills, uh, 17th Street Barbecue fame, and I appreciate you uh, taking time out to join me here. Um, man, uh, obviously we're going to talk a lot of history and, uh, and barbecue and grilling-related stuff, but uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about National Barbecue and Grilling Association first. Um, how long have you guys either been members or been attending, and, and did you start coming just as attendees before you were members? Uh, yes, I did. I started coming as members. We've been a member since, I'm going to say, I think it was 1994 or 5 uh, that we've been been a member. It's been one of the, the best things that I've ever done, learning to, uh, to meet barbecue people, what it's all about, keep up on what's happening out there today. And it's still the same way now as it was at that point in time. Uh, you can get all your questions answered. And it, it's kind of like coming in the back door, so to speak. Uh, you don't know. Some things you don't know who to ask. You know, a lot of people are very secretive out there. But anything that you want to find out about barbecue, you can come to the National Barbecue Association and you can find it out. You know, I had had uh, a couple guests on here previous to you, and I said, and I wanted to ask you the same thing. 
there's a lot of people here that are in the business of barbecue. They have restaurants. They are selling a rubber or sauce or something along these lines. But is this a event that you think from just a, an average Jane or Joe, maybe they don't have any business to do with barbecue, but they like you or they've read your book or they've seen a Myron Mixon on television. Is this a, an event that they should attend just to kind of fanboy or fanboy girl out? Yes, you can do that. And there are people out there right now and I can take them that have been coming for, I'm going to tell you 10 years, 15 years that have, they're not barbecues. They're, they're groupies, I guess is what yeah, you do. Fans of barbecue, right? Yes. But they're here at every convention and I always just wonder, well, okay, you know, I look for them. You know, I miss them. Um, but they love to be around the people. They barbecue at home themselves, but they're not in the business. You think, well, why would you spend money doing it? They just enjoy learning about it. They'll talk about it. But, but again, they're not in the business at all. But if you want to learn how to barbecue and talk barbecue and find out where to go for this or that, Something about this group of people, if you're apt to go to their place of business uh, and try to find these things out, they probably won't have time for you. But for whatever reason, they've got time here, and they're willing to share and give it away. Mike, when you look back on your barbecue and grilling career as it has transpired up until present day, were you somebody that grew up around live fire cooking? Like, was your dad somebody that grilled a lot? Or uh, did the passion for live fire cooking come later on in life for you? No. I, from the time that I was in the crib looking out the window, <laughs> uh, my dad was outside barbecuing. And, of course, I could hear the, it going on outside. And I, my mom would come in and open the blind up. And my crib was right next to the window there. And the first thing you know, I mean, I started screaming. I wanted to go outside and be with my dad. But if he wasn't, he barbecued every every weekend. If he wasn't barbecuing, he was fishing. Um, he was a uh, a salesman on the road mm-hmm. um, for Palm a company called Palmolive Pete, and he sold cigarettes. I always thought he he sold cigarettes and. Uh, Boy, I don't know why I just my mind just went blank. But it, I'll, I'll come back to. Uh, but he loved to barbecue, and every weekend he would barbecue. Uh, we, like I say we'd either bar- have barbecue out in the backyard, and or go to the lake. Um, it was a family affair. Everybody, everybody in the neighborhood would bring meat over to him, and sometime that evening, depending on what they brought. Now, he'd be telling them what he was, was cooking because he liked to cook. You know, if he's cooking chickens that day, you know, you all better bring chicken. Right, right. right. <laughs> Don't bring a hog. Right. <laughs> but uh, that was just an, an everyday occurrence. And, of course, my job on that was uh, he built me a wheelbarrow. Uh, I wish I still had it out of an orange crate. And I my job to bring the wood over to the fire. So was he running like a uh, like a pit you would see like Tootsie down at Snow's Run, or did he have a, a pit like we would see today? My, like what was he running? My he either just built with concrete blocks, dug a hole in the ground, <laughs> and built it up high enough so that you know he never had an actual pit. So he uh, was doing like a, a burn down of wood and shoveling coals. Absolutely! And, wow. 
Yeah. So where were you from originally? Cape Girardeau, Missouri is where I was born. Okay. I live 48 miles from there right now in a town called Murfreesboro, Illinois. Um, my family and, you know, he had five brothers, um, and they were all from southeast Missouri and in that area, um, you know, of the United States. Was that uh, an area of the country that you thought was or that you found to be real big into the barbecue scene or you just happened to be blessed with a dad that liked to do it? No, it was very big into the barbecue scene uh, all the way down through southeast Missouri. And all the states right kind of kind of congeal right there. You got uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Missouri, that all kind of converge into that area in Mississippi Valley that runs through there. So as you're getting older, and as you said, you know, right out of the crib, you were somebody that looked like you were interested in the live fire. Um, when did you start saying, "Hey, Dad, you know, how do we do this?" or "Show me how you make that," and take more of an active role in the cook. My dad was very, you know, uh, homebody to a certain extent from the standpoint of um, had five brothers. Um, I take that back, four brothers and uh, two sisters. And uh, my dad was involved in my dad and my mom were both, you know, they were they loved the outdoors and uh, we were very family orientated. And, you know, I have to kind of look back and see, you know, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't know we were poor, but we, everybody at that point in time, I, because everybody in town was basically poor, except there was one kid and he was a friend of mine and, but he always had better toys. He had a bicycle and, but they had, this family had uh, taught him to share mm -hmm. because he was more fortunate than the rest of us, but I, I had no, I had no clue that we were poor. I mean, we we had food on the table, and you know, uh, I just thought that you know, when you got toys, that they were homemade. You know, <laughs> that you know, my dad made them out of an orange crate. You know, um, but it was just it's just a way of life. You know, and uh, I have to look back, and you know, it's um, I wouldn't trade that time. For any amount of money. Well, I have to imagine that's uh, you know an upbringing too, where you're instilled with work ethic, with love of family and uh, respect for neighbors and uh, parents and all that stuff. I mean, that kind of builds your character as a person. One hundred percent. And then, of course, you know, I tried to instill that into my children, um, which I have a daughter and a son, and um, my uh, my daughter is, well, I'll say, my right arm, so to speak. Oh yeah. Uh, later on in years after she got out, she went to Mizzou in journal, uh, journalism and uh, lives in Boston, but spends about three-fourths of her time in Murfreesboro. I, she uh, finally came back into the fold. I'm one of these that would never push a child to go in and follow my footsteps. You know, go out and find it on your own. And my son's not interested in it at all, but my daughter is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, it's great to be able to work with your family. And I, you know, very much like that, that aspect of it, that what I've built going to go on. But the people that I've met and the people that I've, I've had the good fortune of becoming friends with, uh, 
it's awesome. I don't know how I could have ever had that many friends uh, in doing anything else. When you get older, you're going to leave the house. Did you go to college? I did. I uh, It was a two-year college mm-hmm. at that point in time. I am actually a dental technician by trade. Really? Yes. <laughs> Fall season was my game, and I used to always jokingly say that I had I had to um, learn how to cook meat tender enough for them to be able to eat them with a set of dentures. Right. And the uh, I had a good. I still have a dental laboratory today. I opened the doors January the second in nineteen sixty two. Wow. And I still have that dental laboratory today. It's really? two, two blocks from where my restaurant is. Wow. And I talk to people that are there. There are two of them there. And I taught them to, uh, how to do the work. So you're making dentures? Yes. That's my, <laughs> that's my so dentures, that's, crowns, bridges, this type of thing. That's the longest I don't do business. it anymore. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Wow. And I, I, you know, I don't know why I still have it, but I, I enjoyed that. Always wanted to make back up and make sure I had a job to go yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, in in that respect, I'm old school, you know. But I try to stay up on what I'm doing in the barbecue business and this type of thing. It's it's just been so awesome to be able to meet people from all over the world and have them to know and be able to come to my hometown. You know, a town of seven thousand people. Right. It's pretty cool. When you were at the the school, you you know, as you said, you were the the dental tech. When did you decide that you know, well, this was great, and, and obviously you kept that portion of the business, but you wanted to get into some form of of live fire cooking as a job? When does that start to take place? Um, actually, all the way through my life, I did that on the side. My father died whenever I was nine, and of course, I had a very very stern mother. She. Uh, <laughs> She knew how to handle all of us, <laughs> and the um, I was taught work ethics. My brothers, my sisters, all everybody had work ethics, um, and then of course I passed that on to my kids. Thank God, uh, because the ones of today are not working. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what, what I mean, for sure. That. But. Um, it, it, it's just incredible that the life that I've been able to to live and the people that I've been able to meet that I can think of nothing else that I could have ever done to have this opportunity. So do you start the restaurant business in Missouri or do I you started, go to Illinois? I, I moved to Illinois when I was about six months old. My father passed away whenever I was nine. Yep. And my mother was a very strong individual, and, of course, she raised all of us um, there at home, and uh, she got a, a uh, part-time job, and, um, and we had a good life. We've had, you know, the best, I could say, but it, um, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody else's um, because I, I've learned a lot, and I've learned a lot about people. And there's so many great people that are still in this world. They've just not got worth it. work ethics. <laughs> right. When you uh, when did you open 17th Street? I opened 17th Street in 19, uh, 70, 90, 85. <laughs> I, 
I did that, as I said, it's two blocks away from my dental laboratory. Mm-hmm. So I would go down and uh, every morning and start to have a cup of coffee. And if there was a, um, had the only drive up, at the bar had a drive up window. And it was a barbecue place before. And that was one of the reasons I went, had a barbecue pit. Got it. And that was one of the reasons that I uh, wanted that particular place. So was it just your idea to say, hey, you know, this place is existing. I've always wanted to get into uh, the, the business side of the barbecue, and I'm going to buy that. Or were you encouraged to do it? I was in the bar business, and I knew that that place, you know, was, I, was there, I was there to sell beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my whole intention. But at the same time, I could do barbecue. And that was my, that was my passion. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was still running a dental laboratory at that point in time. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, 1995 that I quit. I went into the barbecue, years. <laughs> barbecue business. At wow. the, and, and I switched over to food business, uh, you know, instead of selling, trying to be a, trying to be a bar. Yeah. And I, cause I couldn't make both of them, uh, it, to tell you how this works, I got a drive up window. Uh, it's the only bar in town. It's always had a drive up window at this place. For example, the bar is almost a hundred years old. It's on the inside. Oh, of, wow. It came out of one of Al Capone's <laughs> places in Chicago during the, the, uh, uh, prohibition pro, pro, during prohibition, yep. yes, and um, just a lot of history. But I have no. I got this drive up window, and it used to be that it was just for for liquor. Well, I started, you know, selling. I had a, still got the window. There's no menu board. There's you know, there's a a little sign that says ring buzzer, and, but there's nothing else. So you just have to know that it's it's there. And it was the only drive-up liquor store in town. Still, it's not the only one. It's still, I take that back, it's still the only drive-up window in town, like I say, but it's food. Hmm. The liquor business is gone, (laughs) and it's in the food business now. After you established success as a legitimate barbecue business, do you then start looking at competing, or were you competing prior to that? In 19, decided to, I heard about, I didn't ever hear about him. I had a friend that told me that, um, about a barbecue contest that he happened upon in St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is about 90 miles from Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me about this, and he explained to me what it was, and he said, this is right up your alley. And... Uh, I said, sounds good. I, he says, I'll call and get some more information. So he called Memphis, Tennessee. The uh, It was always called Memphis in May, and it was, that was the world tournament. Yep. And everybody went to, you know, Memphis once a year after you won a contest, you could have the right to go cook in the world contest. Hmm. They still have that contest. Uh they just don't sanction other contests like they used to. But right. at the same time, um, so I found out there was there was a contest in Crothersville, Missouri that uh, was coming up. So I called down there and told them who I was and what I was wanting to come and see their contest. And uh, 
I went down and watched this contest and was kind of on the inside to see about the scoring and how all this went. Yeah, I was just amazed, you know, that all this was happening. I had no clue. So I came back and a friend of mine and I started the contest in Murfreesboro. And uh, I was, I don't I think 35 years ago, mm-hmm. um, we had our first one. But then in 19, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. In 1988, we started this contest. In 1989, we decided to put a barbecue team together and go out on the circuit and convince these other teams to come to Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went around town and got some of the business people to uh, to help promote this thing. And because to be honest with you, I had no money. You know, I, I was operating on the on the come. You know, right? you know, yes, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. I even though I owned the place, I was chief cook and bottle washer right, at, right. The sa- at the same time. <laughs> you know, uh, and just thought that was the way of life. You know, that's just all I'd ever known. But um, the success over the years of the contest. Like I said, we started the barbecue team and went out and ended up winning four world grand champions and uh, four world champions and three world grand champions in the uh, four years running. And I knew we couldn't keep this up, so I said, we'll quit. <laughs> on the high <laughs> that's, note, right? That, that's go out on the high note. It took 18 years for somebody to tie my record. Uh, I shouldn't say my record, our record. It's your record. Yeah. You did it. No. Well, <laughs> no, there was other people involved. In right. it, a lot the of team's people. record, correct. Right. Yep. And um, I didn't go back for 19 years to cook in the contest again. I went every year, but I was a judge. Mm-hmm. And I've been back going back five years now. And I've been in the running three times. And six years, six years I've been back. And three times I've uh, been off the charts. I have no clue. But I cook that one contest every year, every May, uh, down in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's always ribs with you. It's always been ribs. Yeah. But I switched over to whole hog. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like going from ribs to whole hog, right? Yeah, let's, say, well, let's just go all the yeah, way. Yeah, wow. Um, it got to where, in the ways that I looked at it, everybody got into the ribs. Yeah. And the hardest thing in the world to do is uh, it's either going to be ribs or whole hog that wins that contest as a general rule. Those two have won for the last 20 years, yeah. so to speak. We always cooked ribs, and you only cook one one item. You know, you can't cook ribs and uh, whole hog right. and shoulders. Right. Shoulders is, is a shoulder has no personality, where a hog's got personality. You know, and ribs have got personality, but a shoulder doesn't. So it's hard to get people to cook a shoulder. Yeah. Except uh, for Chris Lilly, he seems to do all right. He's incredible. <laughs> He's, I mean, he's just absolute, absolute master yep. when it comes to this. Yep. He's, uh, they don't come any better than what, what Chris is. No, I don't, I'd yep. say not. I mean, you have three and it took, as you said, uh, 18 years or whatever it was yes. for, uh, uh, 
both Myron and, and Chris Lilly have since uh, hit three. Uh, Myron's got four. Chris has five now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, incredible numbers. It's, all, for that it's kind off of the chart, yeah. you know. Um, and probably two guys. For, I mean, you've been around this game forever. You know the top guns, uh, both from a professional side and, and from a competition side. Probably no surprise to you that those are the two guys that probably eclipsed you. No, absolutely. You know, uh, and there's a lot of other great cooks out there. For sure. You know, uh, you know Melissa Cookston. Yeah. Uh, Whole hog queen. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, she does a fabulous job. Uh, it, it's incredible the way that it's all come down over a period of years. But things aren't spanned out very far, if you know what I mean by mm-hmm. that. There's a select group uh, that have dominated. Yeah. And it's I can just tell you this, that it's difficult to quit and then go back, you know, and uh, pick that up again. I mean, because I've I've used every trick that I know. <laughs> to, uh, to I've been back in the running. The best I've got is fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm proud to get that. Don't misunderstand oh, me. Sure. I, just to be in the top ten with the people that are out there today is incredible. When you looked to get back in it, like what was your research and were you reaching out to people that you knew and saying hey what's hitting now and or were you just going back to the notes that you had kept on all the previous wins and saying hey we're going to see if this one works this year and if it doesn't we'll look to make adjustments at that point yeah um or, yeah or i'm both. still making adjustments <laughs> um you know it's it, it's great to go back and i probably should not have laid off as many as many years as what i did um uh, my partner in the uh, originally, uh, uh, Pat Burke, mm-hmm. uh, he went ahead and formed another team uh, with his family, and they were very, very successful. Yeah. Uh, and he, but and he kept on at that, you know, at that point in time. Like I say, and I did not do that. I should have probably kept on. It. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm scratching my head. I'm telling you what I turn out. I don't mean for this to sound this way, maybe, but it's awesome. I can't figure how to get it over. I can't get over that that hump. I know that if I got over that hump, I can win again. Right. And I, it just. It's elusive they, at the moment, right? <laughs> yes, it's just elusive. That's exactly right. Um. I think one of the other things that people associate with the name Mike Mills is a little book called Peace, Love, and Barbecue. And anybody that I've talked to on my show or just outside about barbecue in general owns that book and refers back to that book and loves to go back and read it again and again. Did you have any idea when you put that book together it was going to be the hit that it was and have such a longevity? No clue whatsoever. None. I had... uh and believe it or not, it still sells today. Yeah. Um, and I have to fess up. I told the stories and this type thing. My daughter is the one that wrote the book. Um, and she's also, we have another book out now. Right. And uh, she's the one that wrote that. And everybody, you know, I tell them, you know, they'll ask questions or whatever. And, of course, then I'll call her over to be able to give answers to all of this. And uh, it was a really a nice family time and time to, you know, uh, her as one of my children to be able to 
have her involved in what I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, somebody to pass things on to, uh, you know, because I had, I, in that in that respect, I don't have anybody else to do that. And oh. I would never, ever do either one of my, my, my son does not care about it at all <laughs> whatsoever, uh, but she does. Yeah. So it's really nice to be able to be able to pass something something on. He, I mean, he appreciates who you are and the accomplishments and all that stuff. He knows you're a big deal, right? Yes, but that's not his cup of tea. Yeah, you know, uh, he lives in San Francisco, likes it out there. Is not going to move back to Southern Illinois. You know, Uh, it's just not his cup of tea. I don't know, you know, and I would never push somebody. I would never push one of them into it. as I said, you know, then I've got a young man that uh, uh, has worked for me for several years, and he uh, he and my daughter will take it over. I, I mean, I would have to imagine it could be potentially daunting. I mean, if your son even had an interest, you know, I, I think of Myron Mixon all the time. You have, you know, his son Michael is, you know, jumping into it. and He's been doing it here for the last couple of years. And I'm like, geez, especially, uh, you know, same thing for you. If your son was interested in, oh, my God, I mean, that tree is large. The shadow is even bigger. Uh, that would have to be intimidating. I mean, it's nice to see that Amy uh, probably recognized that in the beginning, but said, hey, you know, I can bring a set of value and a set of skills here that are going to help complement my dad and uh, be able to tell and document and archive the story and then potentially take it over at some point. Uh, you know, which is a blessing. I mean, I I love such a thing. You know, yeah, right. Otherwise, what am I going to do with it? You know, I uh, would have no one else in the family to uh, take it over and or even sell it to as far as that part of it goes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, I would like to see it go on. One of the things that I found interesting is that, like, you're the only barbecue guy that has top-level security clearance to get on Air Force One. What's the story behind that? I'm going to tell you, in back in the uh, 90s, early 90s, I don't remember exactly what, what year, 92, I think it was, 91 or 92, um, Pre- the the president was coming to Murfreesboro. He was actually coming to Carbondale, Illinois, to the university, Southern Illinois University. And it was during the uh, uh, time when they were cutting some scholarships and doing all of this, and people were all up in arms about whether they were going to be able to go to school, you know, just. And he was coming to the university there to uh, tell what was really, really happening that it wasn't quite as bad as what everybody thought that it was going to be you'd right. still be able to go you know get get scholarships and do all this thing and ended up i had no clue that it, what was even you know even going on i knew that he was going to come and talk and we had these uh, these guys that came in about 2 weeks ahead of time and come to find out they were part of the advance security yeah and they were checking out everything and all this. And somebody had brought them over to eat. Somebody from the university mm-hmm. had brought them over to to uh, eat at a restaurant. And first thing you know, I, I got a I got a call and from a friend and he said, What have you done? I said, What do you mean? He said, I just got a, a call from the FBI that they were asking questions about you. What have you done? <laughs> 
And this was a, a businessman there in town. Yeah. Okay? And uh, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> I can't know. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then come to find out, then as it all evolved and came around, uh, they were checking me out to make sure that I, that I, you know, uh, wasn't crazy. Yeah, doing the whole vetting process. Uh, yes. Yep. Well, and and what was cool that they were going. He was going to come over and eat at the restaurant, and but they didn't want me to tell everybody that that he was coming. Obviously, and um, the bad. The, this is crazy, but I had to charge for a meal. You know. I said, well, you know, how does this all work? Blah, blah, blah. But you got to charge for it because it can't sh- show favoritism or whatever it happens right, to be. Right, right. And uh, I said, oh, fine, you know. Well, I forgot what it was. They they picked out barbecue and uh, baked beans, and I, I forget what the other side was and drinks and all that. And I'm going to tell you, if you're like 150 people, because of the people that was in uh, uh, the different small towns around, yeah, you know, you go five miles and you got a town or a settlement. And of course, he, they, any of the political people uh, were going to be invited. Know that the president was going to be there. Yeah, right. So anyway, then I I talked to him and I, I talked to the security guy and I said here I'd like to do this or that he said let me put you in the right I said you know, we'll do whatever and of course all the all the people that were involved that was on going to be on the plane and this type of thing they all wanted barbecue and they wanted ribs they you know they didn't of course they didn't want, they didn't want barbecue hog <laughs> you know and uh, they said okay what we'll do is we will donate that meat that food. And what it amounts to is they paid me for that, mm-hmm. and then they took that food and they donated all of that. Then I provided the other food got it, got it. that I wanted to, that I wanted to showcase right. and have there. And I, I might add, it was, it was good. Yeah, oh, I bet. <laughs> it, it was really good. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and then he was coming over to the restaurant. And, oh, the other part that I forgot about was – when I found out that he was coming, I had already had this siding tore off of the building. And if you can imagine, this building went through the tornado, the worst tornado in history. Yeah. Um, back in uh, 1925, December the 4th or something. And anyway, I had the siding all tore off, parked in the pile up in the parking lot. And here I got the president of the United States coming. <laughs> You know, of course I did. I called some friends, and they came over and moved all that, all that debris. But I didn't have any way to cover up the the side of it. That was, and then he was coming over after the, um, the talk, the speech yep. that he yep. gave. And on the way over, he got a call that he um, had to go back to the White House. That's when they were having some bad trouble with in Bosnia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then that stopped that, yeah. and then we ended up taking the food that we had out to the Air Force and putting it on Air Force One out to the uh, um, air, airport and put it on there. So he wow. did not actually make it to the restaurant, but yeah. was headed there. 
And I will say this about about him. You talk about a majestic, I don't know what you want, but he was just, his presence in the room, when he came out of the room and there was, you know, a reception room there at the university, he, uh, you just felt like there was a gush of wind and this breeze that came up and you knew somebody had entered the room of importance. Yeah. It was just, it was an eerie feeling, to be honest with you, you know. Uh, had you met any other presidents before that? No. <laughs> the uh, And I always held him back, and this, of course, it's not over yet. You know, I made him promise to come to my house to eat. Yeah. My house, you know, was <laughs> at some point in time, you know, I said, I want you to come to my house and, and eat. That never, never has happened in that part of it. But something that did happen out of it was his private security. Uh, I did his wedding uh, by way of mail. Really? Yes. Whoa. Sent ribs <laughs> and all of the, everything. Wow. And made arrangements with a um, restaurant out there about how to warm it up and right, right. fix it. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. Mike Mills joining me here on the show. 17BBQ.com is his website. Uh, Mike, last thing to ask you about here, and I appreciate the time today. Uh, 2010, you're inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've been kind of critical about the Barbecue Hall of Fame in regards to, uh, I guess, A, how it started. And uh, there doesn't seem to be any real upfront way of figuring out who's making this decision, how are votes being tallied, uh, what's the consideration and stuff like, regardless of any of that stuff that I like to talk about on my show because it's fun to talk about. Uh, certainly nobody's going to deny the fact that who's in the Hall of Fame should be in the Hall of Fame. So when you remember back to 2010 and being inducted in, um, what does that achievement mean to you over the course of the barbecue career and, uh, of course, all the other things that you've accomplished? Well... God, I mean, I, you know, pinch me. Uh, is this real? You know, I had no clue. Never, never, ever thought about being uh, in the barbecue hall of fame. Uh, I'm one of these individuals that I always just wanted to, whatever I did, I wanted to do the best that I could do. Uh, whether it happened to be barbecuing, you know, I, uh, and if it was something I couldn't do, I would either find out how to do it or refuse to do it you know, one or the other. And I'm, I'm still kind of that way today. Um, I'll either figure out how to do it and do it right. Um, Which is the way you should do it, by the way, right? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and or just not do it. You know, so there'll be somebody that's better at something than I am, and that's who I'm going to recommend or I'm going to get help from them. Um, and, but I've always been that way, and no matter what it, whatever it happened to be that, that I did, you know, I don't care if I was making false teeth, you know, I wanted to do the best that I could do. And I always jokingly say that I had to learn how to make dentures that you could eat ribs with. <laughs> and so I, and I always jokingly say, you know, I'll guarantee you you can cook them tender enough that without them falling apart and right. being mushy, right. that you'll be able to bite. If I made the ribs, if I made the ribs, You'll be able to eat ribs with it. There you go. And ribs are tough to, tough to eat off the bone with the teeth. 
Wow. I mean, that's uh, that's a story that I had no idea that you were in the in the teeth business. So, uh, just when I think I I know everything about everybody, and you do all the research, uh, nobody yeah. ever mentioned anything nobody, about the dentures. Nobody ever mentions that part, do they? <laughs> no, never. Uh, it's Mike Mills uh, rounding out the first day of broadcast here at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association. Uh, we're going to do it again live noon to three on Friday and again on Saturday. Mike, really appreciate it. Thank you very much Thanks for the for opportunity. Through. Absolutely. Uh, that is Mike Mills, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, want to thank my guests, Code Free Spices in the first hour and Sterling Smith from Loot Booty in the second hour. Of course, Mike Mills. We will rejoin you again tomorrow at high noon. Until then, this is your program host and proud U.S. American. By the way, I don't want to forget about this. September 11, 2001. I will never forget. We will see you back here at noon at National Barbecue and Grilling Association. Good night now.